Hang on, brothers and sisters. Liberation is near. It's almost time. All right, so what's up? This is the Shatler Show. We're back again. Um, I'm going to get the commercials out of the way again. Uh, kind of give tribute to the sponsors because they're helping us out with this. And, uh, yeah, so one of the first sponsors is Solstice Skate Shop. Um, this is their mug. But, uh, yeah, they're out of New Bedford, Mass. Jay Vasconcellos, awesome dude. Shop's been around for about 15 years. Um, and they're back in the show, so that's pretty tight. Also, we got World Industries, um, Boards and Shoes, um, and last but not least, I got my clothing company, All I Need, All I Need Apparel, and uh, yeah, if you want to get any of the clothes, you go to allineedskate.com, check out my, check out the gear, check out our riders, our skateboarders, and uh, yeah, that's the sponsors, we're done with that, and uh, today we got... Uh, a very, very, very awesome guest. I'm psyched. We got Mr. Donnie Barley, East Coast legend. Um, and uh, I'm psyched to have Donnie, man. I mean, I've skated for some of the same companies with Donnie and uh, got to travel with him. And just as a kid, just looking up to you, man, it's fucking honor for sure. And uh, I was telling someone a story yesterday about the first time I, like, I personally thought I realized how awesome you were. Was I think I might have told you before, was... We were coming, me and my friend Dale were coming back from uh, Skater's Island. And we were driving and we had this car and this car was peeling, the paint was peeling off because it was old and we put Element stickers on it. And at that time you were skating for Element. And uh, you pulled up next to us. I don't remember where you were driving, but you were driving like a madman next to us. We had to be doing at least 80. And while he's driving, he's handing the stickers out the window while you're driving. And I was hanging out the passenger side. And... Uh, it just, we grabbed the stickers, it felt like we were going to crash, and it was like, that made our day, that made our year, that made forever. We were forever Donnie Barley fans after that. <laughs> Is that something, do you remember that? I do, yeah, I do remember that. I remember having that discussion with you too when you brought that up, and um, I think I was on my way to Boston or something, maybe. Probably. Or well, we were leaving somewhere. Skaters Island, so, yeah. and we were probably going back to New Hampshire, so it probably was on your way to Boston. Yeah, yeah. yeah I just remember. Um, I mean, there's plenty of times I've done that, like just seeing skaters on the road and giving them a honk, and then, uh, you know, it's rad when you have stuff to give away. Actually, it makes it for a fun or event. You know, makes yeah. for an adventure, a memorable moment. I feel like I feel like uh, as sponsored skaters, we get a lot of stuff. Yeah. And we can tend to take it for granted sometimes because you end up getting like so many boards, you get so many shoes. And especially back in the day when the industry was thriving, like, real big, is like, you had so much stuff, you almost didn't know what to do with it all. So it's rad when you can kick it down to the little homies because you, you know how much they appreciate it. And that, oh, for right. us, that fucking, that, me and Dale still talk about that. Every time we link up, like, we're like, oh, yeah, remember that shit? <laughs> like, that was, that was, like, one of our legendary stories. You made our day, for sure. It's cool that, you know, that was before, like... We got to know one another, sort yeah. of, you know what I mean? Yeah, so, no, I didn't even, I, I only knew of you then. Yeah. Like magazines, videos, 401. I think the first video I ever saw was a 401 and you were in it. And like, yeah, I didn't even, we didn't even meet. That was just like, dude, Donnie Barley, pro skaters next to us, like risking his life to hand us those big ass element stickers, the big round ones. Because we had one and you must have just been like, yeah, fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then like when Skater Island was around, you know, there was just like this complete little community of young rippers. And you were one of them, you know? And then, uh. There was a good amount of kids there, man. Yeah. Heavy list. Yeah. And then at one point, I was just like, who's that kid kickflip front board and down the rail? And then, you know, I learned that that was Anthony Shetler. 
And, uh, yeah, man, you know, and then, like, over time, like, watching you progress and progressing very quickly and being, um, you know, kind of like a diehard, you know, it, yeah. it was like, where this guy's got some skills here. And then, you know, time, time took it where it took it, you know. I think, I like how you said diehard, because I think, like, there's a lot of kids with talent and a lot of people with talent, and, uh, that's cool and there's phases and a lot of people get into skating and it's like, oh, these people are amazing. But then it's like industry strengths and stuff and you start to see the people that stay with it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, diehard's a good word because, like, I think experiences like you pulling up out of nowhere on the side of us handing us stickers and just knowing, like, we like skating and you like skating and you wanted to stoke us out makes someone want to be a diehard. Like, my friend Dale still skates. He's a chef, you know. He works, that's his job, but he still skates. Like, he loves skateboarding, like... And I think just sharing shit like that just makes it people love it, you know. And that's the stuff that we need more of in skateboarding for sure. Just more one-on-one personal interaction, especially being a pro, like talking to the kids and stoking them out and reminding them why skating's awesome and that it's not a competition. It's more of like a lifestyle and a passion, a love and art, you know what I mean? So Yeah. And I think you did a good job. Thanks, <laughs> You man. lit my fire at you, Jay. There's a few people in my life that I was like, these people made me love skateboarding for sure. At least showed me how awesome skating was. So I can enjoy it and fall in love with it. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's that's kind of you know something that when you have a love like skateboarding, you kind of you don't even really realize you're doing it. You're just kind of trying to you know share share as much as you can. And um, you know, we had a couple older guys that did the same for us. You know, so that's what I was gonna ask. Um, So we talked about that I wanted to kind of talk about how you came up and started skating like who were your influences that's actually one of the questions I got was someone was like asked uh, who your early influences were if there were any any, because they feel like you have a one of a kind style and unique approach to skating that was the question Um, well that's it's it's kind of hard to answer that because like um, when we first started skating there was really not too many people around in our town that skated especially on the east coast i imagine yeah and in a small corner of southeastern connecticut you know we we skated and then you know i made friends with a couple other skaters and then eventually we had heard about these legendary guys called the stains and the stains uh, yeah stains. i've never heard of them yeah the stains yeah and it was this guy named steve mace and the McGrath brothers, um, Dennis McGrath. Okay, yeah. Um, and you've probably heard of Dennis McGrath. Yep. He's a photographer. He lives in Frisco. And his brother, John McGrath. And um, there was three of them. And um, and they had a big, huge vert ramp um, right on the water on the Thames River in Groton. And um, and so we had heard about it, and we would had our moms drive us down there. And it was just kind of like a – they used to call it the mansion ramp. And, you know, back then, you know, you'd have locals like um, – Bill Danforth coming through, and yep. Fred Smith, and um, and a lot of other gnarly underground East Coast, like, vert kind of guys. It's crazy because Fred Smith, like, every time I go out to Cali and I talk to a dude that's a little older, skateboarder, they always know who Fred Smith is. Yeah. And I still am not really sure who he is, unfortunately. Yeah. I miss that era. He actually lives down the street from my house. He's a local. Um, I live in Newport, Rhode Island. And, um, you know, he's doing tattoos. and But, yeah, he's he's one of the dudes that was really pioneering skateboarding in in the New England area, one of many. And um, he was one of the guys that kind of caught a break and got to get sponsored. And and, um, and then uh, he was part of the Alva team. Oh, sick. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. probably why everyone out there is like knows him because yeah. Alpha was huge and it. Yeah. And like, like I said, back then there was probably, you know, a dozen or two dozen maybe, you know, known um, pro skateboarders from, you know, 
Massachusetts down to Florida or something. Yeah. You know, we we had a small collection back then, and back out in California, there was obviously a bigger scene, a lot more parks, a lot more progression and, and stuff. So, uh, you know, when those California guys would come to the East Coast, I think they would, you know, would make friends with everybody out here. You yeah, know? And, for sure. and Freddie actually later opened a skateboard park in Providence, Rhode Island, called the Skate Hut. And that was a place that um, me and a couple of my friends in Connecticut would drive to Rhode Island to, to skate. And it was a pretty gnarly place. It was like this dungeon type of a brick building. And inside was a 13-foot-tall vert ramp with um, pool coping on one side. And um, we'd go there almost every Saturday. And they had a bowl, which was completely gnarly. We didn't even know how to turn through. It was mostly tranny. The place. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was then. for sure like more of a tranny park. Um, and at one point, they actually took the bowl away and made a small street course, which, you know, wasn't the best decision. But at the time, skateboarding had changed into more of a street thing. Yeah, and I yeah. think shortly after they took the bowl away and made that street course, the whole park probably was had closed maybe a year later, which was a bummer. But So what I'm wondering is... It, do you like? I have a, top, a list of top top dudes that I've always liked their skating. Maybe their skating has has influenced me. Maybe not. But for whatever reason, I'm just psyched on their skating. And like like B A U Susky, like um, Nesser, just dudes like that. That I'm like, I like how they skate. I like how they represent themselves. Do you have a list of a top three, or like, is there anyone that you've you just like what they're doing and like in skateboarding? Yeah, um, as growing up too, like maybe 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 not so much now, but growing up, was there a top three? Uh, yeah, yeah, but like it always sort of revolved, you know. I, w- I was I was into a lot of people skating. Um, mainly in the early days, um, we had a half pipe at my friend Jason's house that his dad had built us, and so Jason always would get like the new Santa Cruz videos, and we had all the Powell videos before that, and so um, you know I didn't. We skated from place to place on our, you know, all around town on our skateboards. But like the big thing that we did was session the half pipe, you yeah. know, and it was six feet tall with seven foot transitions. And initially it was 12 feet wide, and then we ended up adding on to it, and it was 24, eventually, which yeah. made for a bigger ramp. And and we had progressed and kind of grown out of the 12 foot wide ramp at that point. But um, yeah, all those little baby steps, learning all the tricks and stuff, and watching all the the early skate videos. You know, half pipe was kind of like, you know, that was our thing. You know, yeah. let's skate, let's skate the ramp, and let's get better, and we can kind of, you know, um, mimic and 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 sort of copy what those dudes are doing in the videos. And so, so in the early days, I think Eric Justin was was absolutely like my favorite skater. Um, yeah, and I did really, you do um, a graphic that was like an Eric Justin graphic, or am I tripping? The um, Birdhouse one, or no, that was uh, a Neil Neil Blender. Blender yeah, that's what it was. yeah. Okay, yeah. And Neil Blender was actually another guy that we were really psyched on because he seemed like he was just kind of like strange and um, innovative. Yeah. And it, in in some of those early Powell videos, he had little clips skating with Lance and um, Lance Mountain. Yeah. And um, we just thought he was just like the coolest dude. <laughs> and it, and then we you know you'd always see pictures of his his doodling and artwork and stuff. So that was kind of unique, and we really fell for that. Um, and uh, so yeah, like in Lance Mountain was another one that was I was really psyched on coming up, and and all the all the Bones Brigade for that matter. Did most of those those dudes you just mentioned? There, I know Lance is tranny. 
Dressen. Yeah. Uh, they're all tra- like mostly skated tranny. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. then Eric Dressen would show up at a street event and kill it and no just shit. explode like a time bomb and win it. You yeah, know, and yeah. that that was I remember even reading that in a magazine like Eric Dressen explodes. You know, skates like a ticking time bomb or something. Yeah. You know, and and that was another thing that kind of like was thrilling to um, have him as a favorite skater because he, um, you know, he seemed like he was aggressive a bit and like. And he wasn't scared to to go for it. I think, and that, for whatever reason, just you know, got me hyped. You know, um, I when we start when I started skating in uh, New Hampshire, we had a mini ramp, and that was pretty much all we had. That and flat ground. Yeah. So like we'd always go and skate the mini ramp, and uh, it was sick to like. I feel like on the East Coast, you tend to learn how to skate tranny more, just because you're forced to, because the winters and you're stuck. And uh, I think that's something that. Made you stand out as you skated like tranny really well. Like even when skating went mostly street, you still had like kind of street tranny stuff. You know what I mean? You know, mm-hmm. I think that helps stand you, make you stand out a lot in the industry, and uh, definitely made me want to learn pivot fakies <laughs> for sure. <laughs> right. I think right. that's definitely why I learned pivot fakies. That yeah. and my friend Dale learned them because of you, and then he'd like we'd just compete and be like, oh, we gotta learn this, you know? So mm-hmm. that's tight. Yeah, throughout the um, like the early days, we would skate everything. I mean, we you know the funny thing, we would uh, we would skate the ramp on on a Saturday, and by noontime, you know, we'd be a little bit pooped and we'd want to change. So like, you know, we'd have our helmets on and our elbow pads and our knee pads, and so we'd like just push our knee pads down to our ankles and just push down the street. Picture this, <laughs> picture driving your car back in like 1985. Yeah. You know, 1986 or something, and looking out of the uh, right-hand side of your car, and on the sidewalk is three, you know, 14-year-old kids. Pads with he- dangling off. Yeah, of helmets, <laughs> like, pink shorts, like, you know. <laughs> pink shorts? Yeah, or whatever. Like, cause back then, it was like we were rocking. I remember um, Jason had, like, a McGill board, and I had a Kevin Stobb board with pink grip tape and pink nose guard. And, that dude's you know, still going. Dude. Yeah, he's yeah. killing it. I, I know him now, and it's, I, I, it's cool to have had the chance to tell him, dude, my second board ever was a Kevin Stab and <laughs> right on, and then traveled with him a little bit. He's the best. Had he, was he always like out? Like his gears always like when I see him now, his gears like out there, like crazy, different, unique. Was he always like? Yeah, yeah. He he always had like a pretty expressive fashion look to himself, which um, was rad. You it's know, cool, yeah. It's you know, different, unique, and especially during that period of the '80s in skateboarding, that was common. You know, and that was kind of like what a lot of the guys did. Um, even the gnarly dudes. You know, the gnarliest dudes out there were were wearing like kind of funny stuff, like <laughs> some pink, like yeah, visor. yeah, yeah. But like you know, we never questioned it. You know, it was a new subculture that we were involved in, and we were psyched on, and we lived every moment of our brains was part of that moment, subculture. Yeah. You know, and absorbing everything that we'd see in magazines and 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 in, in, in the videos. And I mean, they'd even have surfing on ESPN back in the day, and we were you know glued to that as well. And we weren't even really you know, exposed to surfing during that time, we wanted to be. It was you know? cool. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah, like, cool. you know, a different sort of subculture similar to what our love for skateboarding was, and we just, you know... Anyway, yeah. Same with BMX, man, you know. It's like, we're, you're, you're 12 years old. Anything with wheels on it, that's cool. You're just and like, like oh, go jump off Yeah, them. like, <laughs> yeah. you know. So, like, somebody ended up stealing my bike because um, uh, I had, like, a red line bike, and, it, and then uh, I was really bummed. Super bummed. So I started saving money and eventually had enough to go buy another bike. And when I went to the bike shop, I saw all these new boards. I saw this new Hasoi board. 
you know, and, and these boards were really wide, you know, different yeah. than the banana boards that we were cruising around on. Yeah. We had found all these banana boards throughout the years um, just in people's trash. And I think stuff. one of my first ones was like a weird little banana board. Yeah, it's like everybody's had, had like a banana board in, in, in the garage, it's so, you know, for whatever reason, from an aunt and uncle or whatever. It was an aunt for me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, so once I went to go buy a bike and saw these, you know, unique uh, wider boards, I thought, like, that was just the coolest thing on the whole planet. It was ridiculous how captivated I was. And then, and, um, and I had heard about Hasoi, and I knew he had, like, a Rising Sun graphic, so they had a Sims Kamikaze there. And it was actually, it didn't even have his name on it. It just said Sims Kamikaze. But I thought, at the time, I thought it was... Um, it was like associated with Christian. Yeah, yeah. He had already left um, Sims and gone on to ride for um, maybe Dogtown or something. Um, I, you know, I don't know all the, the details of the history then. But, yeah, so I thought I was getting a soy board, but it was, in fact, a Sims Kamikaze. So they, uh, cool. they kept his graphic, took his name off the board, and kept the board out. You yeah. Know? But whatever. Um, I had that Sims Kamikaze for over a year and um, had... Uh, Sims Pro, Sim Street Wheels on there, and I had uh, Going Pro 3 trucks, and, you know, obviously all the nose guards and tails guards, you know, tail guards. And that was my first board, and... That thing must have been heavy. Yeah, it was, <laughs> but, like, it was just the smoothest ride. It was like a Cadillac, and, I mean, I was tiny, you know, yeah. but I pushed that thing. I put probably, you know, I probably put hundreds of miles on that thing, skating from my house to Jason's house, which is about a mile, and I would skate to the ramp and back, you know, easily once a day you yeah. know and um let's kind of i kind of want to ask you what is your role because i know you're working for element now yeah so what is your title and what's your what do you do what's your position there uh it's, so so i do retail relations and um i do that for element and plan b oh sweet yeah um and i do the whole country north america so um what i do is just pretty much um communicate with a lot of the stores out there that you know, we want to build business with and um, just get involved with the buyers and the owners and, you know, just do my best to, um, you know, build a relationship, you know. Is, this, is that something that um, you went to school for? Is it just through knowing the right people and having a name in skateboarding and just being personable? Well, I mean, I went to college for video radio production and telecommunications, but this is actually nothing related to what I went to college for. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, what happened was, is, um, you know, through my career, toward the end there, I, or in my, during my career, I was, we were, was New York, you know, and yeah. then my contract ended, and, um, you know, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life, you know, and at the time, I just became a dad and bought a house, and... Charlotte. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um so it got really, life got really interesting during that time, and I started to build a resume, and in the meantime, I was like, you know, landscaping and doing all these crazy odd jobs just to sort of take care of the overhead because my skateboard money had kind of come to an end. Um, and rather than go film a video part and try to, you know, I just kind of like wanted to just take a different path. You know, I wanted to continue skateboarding, but like it just seemed like, um, you know, I don't know, I just... <laughs> it seems like like just growth in a different direction. You yeah. can always still skate. I think I touched on this with Nick a little bit in the last podcast. Uh-huh. I was like, you know, you can still skate and do other things as well, you know? Like, you could even, you know, and that that's something that it sounds like you were like, you know what? Yeah, I, w- I, w- I was going to say, like, man, I was getting, I was like wearing myself out a little bit. I had had a few bad injuries that, like, really kind of um, woke me up a little bit. 
And, um, you know, I, I hurt my ribs pretty bad, and that was, like, a good year of, like, just really tough, tough, like, you know, coping with it. Yeah, you know? your ribs are... Well, I've, had, I've yeah. had a cracked rib before, and it's brutal. Yeah, and then, you know, a couple other small injuries and stuff. So, like, I kind of realized in my heart that my participation was starting to slow down a little bit. And becoming a father was just, like, this incredible thing that gave me this unconditional love, you know. And as Charlotte started to get, like, older, like, you know, progressing into all these different stages, you know, she became, you know, then she's, like, two years old, and she's, like, talking to me, and we're having so much fun interacting and growing together. And and it just, like, kind of warmed me to a point where, like, I was just like, man, like, you know, I don't really think I want to kill myself anymore doing the skateboard stuff. Like, I kind of just want to, like, bring it back and enjoy it and kind of take maybe the remainder of my skateboarding life and be selfish and have it for myself but and go it, ride for it's fair. for my own terms yeah. and stuff like that, you know. And um, and and then at the same time, like, there really really wasn't a ton of opportunity for me. Then my, I, I didn't go knocking on doors and I didn't go begging for an opportunity as far as like, hey, you know, let me have a pro board here or there. I kind of just um, built my resume and kind of went knocking on doors for work, you know, which which was rad because um, I felt like I had a lot of experience in the industry and I wanted to see if I could, um, you know, see where I could take it, you know. And so I applied for this job for Vans to be like a virtual merchandiser for New England, meaning I would travel around New England and kind of set up window displays and stuff and work with the sales team to build up accounts and what have you. Yeah. Um, and so that was um, an opportunity that I, it was like inches, you know, I was, I, I was interviewing a few different, I interviewed a f- with a few different people for the position and, and they were stoked, you know, yeah. they were like, right on Donnie, like sick, man. And, you know, they, it seemed like everybody was like psyched that. It seems like I, you'd be perfect for that because you have a name and you're, you've been in the industry, you're well established. So like having Donnie come to the shop is like for shop owners, probably yeah, a pretty and good I, treat. You and know? for me, I was just looking for a new starting point, you yeah. know? And, um, and so then the Vans dudes called and were like, Hey, um, we just don't have enough business in New England right now to have a virtual merchandiser. So we're going to just kind of put that whole position on ice until business in New England starts to grow bigger. Yeah. So that was a disappointment because I really thought that I had that position. And, and so I went back to like landscaping and stuff like that. And then I talked to, um, Johnny from element. Um, and I talked to my old team manager from element, Ryan Kingman. And then also, um, the sales manager, this guy, Kevin, who's awesome. And he's been and so anyway, they kind of offered me a couple different opportunities. They wanted me to take over a sales position, like, on the east coast you know in a, in a, one of the territories and, and you then, knew these people from when you yeah because i had ridden for element before yeah and um and so it was pretty cool that they were really trying to throw me a bone yeah, you know awesome. and so that was like you know all right this might work but i didn't really want to be a sales um i didn't really want to be a sales rep you know i, I just you know especially in a struggling economy you know a sales rep it's just, it's just like you get your your you get your um your cut at for, for as much as you you, you, you do product yeah. you move and and I was just like man that would be it's like how do you how do you get a cut if it's hard to like people can barely buy this stuff you know so yeah for sure yeah and, and then um they also wanted me to move you know and I had you know I had the house you know yep. so I was just like man I don't really want to do that and then they were like well hey um so they gave me like this this hybrid position and it was pretty you know entry level you know, and they didn't really, like, demand me to do a whole heck of a lot. So, like, the first year, I kind of felt like I was, you know, 
sponsor skater again? <laughs> I don't know. It's just kind of like, hey, like you know, let me help out. And so I got involved with their contest series and went on a lot of their contest series stops, you know, which yeah. is really cool. And I helped out with a lot of maybe, you know, we had, you know, they we'd have discussions about where the brand was going and what their goals were with the brand and certain, you know, depths or whatever. And then like, and but in general, you know, I was getting to know different accounts. Um, from you know, Maine to Florida, because in the beginning I was just doing retail relations for the East Coast, yeah. and then I was contributing whatever else I could contribute, just because I wanted to contribute, you know. Yeah. So, um, you That's know, right. although although the name of my job is called retail relations, like I definitely feel like I have my hands in different aspects of the brand, you know. So it's cool. The marketing director is killer. His name's Mark, and like. He and I have conversations about like what we can do the next year or whatever, and like I'll bring ideas to the table, and they'll bring awesome ideas to the table. So I'm like kind of involved in um, a lot more than just like what my title is. You know, that's awesome. Yeah, so. I mean it makes sense because you you've done it, you've been there, you've seen it, you've skated, you've been the pro, so it's cool to like. Yeah, and I'm stoked stuff. that they have ears for me. You know yeah, what I mean? That's and right. then um and then uh just over like last July or whatever, the skate shop closed in February actually. My skate shop, Fountain yeah. Youth. And then once the shop closed, like, I had a lot of more availability as far as time goes. So I was just like, hey, guys, like, can I do retail relations for North America? Because I've got a bunch of accounts that I'm familiar with from my past travels. You know, let me knock on those doors and make those phone calls and see if I can't build some more business for yeah, you guys. Yeah, because basically when you're on tour, you're going and you're doing signings at the shop. Yeah. And if you're aware, you can make relationships with the owners and that could help you. And that seems like... Yeah, what and I have right. done a pretty... I mean, you know, I traveled everywhere, you know, domestic and international for, I mean, for a long, long, long time. That's what you know? say, how long do you so. think that your career spanned it? It's been... You've had a pretty long career. Yeah. Skateboarding, like it's been... It's been a while. I'm 39. I went pro when I was like 25, 23 or 24 actually. And um, I think it's been maybe 15 or 16 years. I just... Whew. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's unbelievable. I mean, I never even... That's impressive. I, I took a bus to California initially hoping that I could get sponsored or make, meet some people and, and get to ride with the greats. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that evolved into some opportunities that happened and then you know before you knew it you know i was you know an amateur for toy machine and then shortly after that a professional you know it's right because like there's a lot of people that get sponsored and they get like a two-year three-year window top so to be able to ex you know expand that through 15 years it's not many people are able to pull it off like that's a lot of that's a lot of uh, skateboarding for sure and that's yeah that's awesome let's let's talk about um I know we're kind of going backwards and we're jumping around, but we'll just touch on it wherever. Let's t let's talk about um, how you got first sponsored because we talked about how, where you grew up. Let's, how did you f uh, find out about getting sponsored and like like who who were the first people to hook you up and like did you did you go after it? Did you send sponsoring tapes? Like how how did that work out? No, I never even. I mean, we have actually some old footage of us cruising around on that half pipe. I was telling you, but yeah, excuse me, <laughs> um, but. Um, like, yeah, man, I never, I never filmed a sponsor me video or anything. Um, we found out about sponsored skateboarding through, um, friends that skated at the skate park called the playground and the playground skate park was in Wallingford, Connecticut. And so we frequented that place. And some of the locals that skated there were, um, you know, Jim Greco, um, Keenan Milton, um, a lot of the New York guys, Jeff Pang, um, Gino, Keenan, um, yeah, uh, 
Tim Upson, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah a lot like, of these, yeah, rippers. And, like, people would come from Pennsylvania, like Buster Halterman and Barker Barrett and Barker, Tom Boyle. You Barker know. Barrett, so good at mini ramps. Yeah, Ricky Iola came through there a couple of times. I met Bam there, actually. Bam was, like, 10, you know. Yeah, like yeah a little, made friends with him. He was, like, a big 10-year-old, too, like yeah. a pudgy little guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I was tiny, you know, tiny with freckles. <laughs> Sick. And a white helmet. Were you a ginger? Because you're not, you're not a ginger now. No, no. no. I was always just this little blonde-haired kid. But I, um, yeah, my beard comes in kind of a little red. Yeah. yeah, mine does too, a little bit on the sides when it yeah. gets long enough. Um, but yeah, so. So going to the playground. Yeah, yeah. We just, you know, we like the pros would come through sometimes, you know, and and you know, and we just, holy crap, you know, and. We'd always be out in the parking lot trying to buy like used product off them or new product because they'd sell it to us for cheaper or whatever, and we'd ask them like what was going on with what, and and so you just kind of like learn along the way. And then um, I graduated high school, went to college for two years. During that time, I was skating. I was going to school in Providence, going to college, and then uh, I'd skate with Papeki all the time at this other skate park called Skater's Edge, and he was at, was it Skater's Island. No, Skater's Edge, just like time. Oh, there was another Skater's yeah, Edge? Yeah, yeah. Wow, you're in schooling War- me right now. Yeah, it was in Warwick, Rhode Island. It was this no little shit. thing, yeah. And um, one day Lance Dawes and Kelch and Henry Sanchez and a few of those guys came through to do a demo. They're all West Coast dudes, right? Yeah, yeah, they were doing a real demo uh, for real skateboards. Kelch had just gone pro. And we're skating this four-foot mini ramp with an extension. And then, um, yeah, I did a frontside ollie to Disaster and... Lance shot a picture of it, and I ended up getting my first picture in a magazine. Which magazine? Slap. Damn, sick. Yeah. And, um, and it, so it's a frontside ollie? To disaster, yeah. Was it's, it a sequence, or was it... No, it's just a still. Sick. Yeah, it was just a still. I'm pretty sure I had a helmet on and <laughs> sick. some elbow pads. That was okay back then, though. Yeah, it was, it was totally, normal. Yeah, I remember, like, chilling with couch and stuff, and he was a riot, total riot. And Dave Meddy was there, oh, and yeah. he was murdering the mini ramp. He did so many tricks that I'd never seen before. But yeah, that like picture, getting the picture in the magazine was awesome too because um, that kind of like oh crap, yeah. stopped again, dude. All right, we're gonna try it one more time if it. Okay. All right, we're back. Yeah. So basically, I guess where I was, where I left off was um, when I got that picture in that Slap magazine, you yeah, know, I your could first add, I, photo. Yeah, like nice. I showed it to um, my mom and my dad who who supported me doing whatever I wanted to do my whole entire life. But skateboarding was kind of like this unknown thing at that point, you know? Yeah, it was so, like, no, back then it was like you're a pioneer because you didn't know if you could make a living or what the deal is, I imagine. Yeah, and like... Especially on they, the East Coast anyways. Yeah, so, you know, they let me do what I wanted to do, um, but like, you know, they weren't trying to go out and buy me new decks and stuff like that. You know, yeah. I, it was my responsibility to save up for... For what I wanted to to buy to supply myself to skateboard. Were they you know? set when you showed them the slap photo? Or yeah, that was rad because that was just kind of like, oh wow, like you know, they kind of had like a little bit more belief in like what I was doing. You yeah. Know? Was then, it was it belief in that you could do it, or was it belief that there's an actual industry? Yeah, I I don't think they. My parents didn't like doubt me or anything like that. You yeah. know, they was just more like they were just like kind of ignorant to what was out there for skateboarding. Like, yeah, you know like, what who I mean? knows they, if there, you could even do it as a job. Right, they'd it. see us doing, um, watching all the videos and stuff, and they just kind of laugh, and, you know, they they just thought, you know, skateboarding was like a, you know, pogo sticking or something, <laughs> you know what I mean? It just wasn't yeah. really like a... Um, That's fair. Like, yeah, I mean, you know, it's way different than... Skateboarding had to, like, prove itself to everything, for right. sure. Like, pogo sticks phased out. Hopefully yeah. scooters do, too. Die, scooters! <laughs> Sorry, kids. Yeah, so, um... They seen your photo... 
Yeah, they were pretty pumped. And then, like, you know, I think I started, I was in college, and then I graduated from college, and that actually, that summer, I think Buster Halterman came through um, to skate uh, the park in Connecticut, and he said, he was talking about Woodward, and I was so stoked to talk to Buster, and we had, you know, watched all his video parts, him and Chris Miller, and just like, oh, my God. So, they were our favorites, you know, so stylish and stuff, and um, we wanted to skate vert just like him. And, um, yeah, he told me that if I wanted to work at Woodward to put his name on the application. Oh, so, so like I get the reference. Yeah, yeah, and so, like, I called Woodward, they sent me the um, application, and then I put his name on it, and then Woodward called me and said, hey, you want to come work? And I had just graduated with my associate's degree from college, and my parents were like, build your resume. And so I built my resume, and then I actually just took off. And, well, my parents brought me to Pennsylvania and dropped me there for the beginning of the summer to work at the camp as a, as, as a dishwasher. Yeah. You know, my dad wasn't really too thrilled because he wanted me to do something with my education, you know, because yeah. he had just paid for it. Thank yeah, you. of course. Thank you, Dad. <laughs> and thank you, Mom. But, like, yeah, and I just wanted to go skateboard out in Pennsylvania on these ramps, you know. Sometimes you can't help your fate, man. <laughs> no, but they kind of, like, did their best to sort of hold me down on that one. They drove me down there, and you know, and then they were like, okay, we'll give you the summer to go, you know, soil your wild oats and then kind of like thinking like well when you come back after the summer it's time to like like that, lick, licking your wounds like put, put that degree that we just paid for to good work and you're going to go get like a real man's job type thing yeah, you know? yeah so i worked at woodward and i was supposed to be there for three weeks and then i ended up becoming like an instructor and then they wanted me to be a counselor and next thing you know i'm there for 12 weeks straight Damn. throughout that 12 weeks like all these pro teams came through and um i ended up meeting like you know the toy machine guys at Templeton and the birdhouse guys, oh, okay. yeah, you know, yeah. and then I met the think team, um, cause they came through and that was like Phil Shaw, Dandrew Hobel, Matt Pales, Wade Spare. And Wade Spare was like, definitely like the dude, the dude, man. <laughs> like he was like my new Eric Dressen, you know, like he was like my new favorite, you know, at the, around that time. And so he and I were skating the bowl, and then just out of the blue, he just walked up and was like, dude, you got to skate for Think, man, you know? And Damn, that must have been a trip. Yeah, it was. It was insane. And um, so... And that was at Woodward? Yeah. Damn, sick. Yeah, so... Damn, Think's team was so sick. Was gnarly. That was a gnarly lineup. Yeah. Hey. So then that, um, then I moved out to San Francisco and kind of went out there blind and, and um, you know, stayed with a few people. Right? Wait, wait, wait. Let's not jump this. Yeah. So you, so you're at Woodward. They and uh, he comes up to you, asks you to ride for Think. Yeah. Where do you go from there? Do you go back home and tell your parents? Yeah, yeah. I went home. I'm out. Yeah, I went home. How they um, handle that? Like they wanted to get a real job. You know, my dad was pretty. You know, what are you gonna do? And you know, and I was like, well, I, I, you know, I'd saved up money working at Woodward, so I bought myself a plane ticket to go out to. To San Diego again. They actually pay, they do pay you at Woodward to like wash dishes and stuff? You get like well, I didn't get paid to wash dishes. I got paid to be an instructor. Oh, okay. And I got paid another check to be a counselor. Oh, sweet. So okay. I think I made like 130 bucks a week, you know? Okay. And um, and you live for free there Correct, much. correct. I spent maybe like 10 bucks a week on... Candy. And yeah, and something, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, I had stacked up some dough for this 12-week summer. Cool. I had like two grand or something. And um, bought a plane ticket for 500 bucks. went to San Diego. We were at one of the trade shows, and then a bunch of my buddies from back east were there. And they were like, we're going to San Francisco. So I jumped in with them without a plan, without anything. Didn't know what I was doing. Just you know? free spirit, dude. Yep. Went, ended up in San Francisco. No place to go. Go down to Embarcadero. 
running into some people down there, say hello. And did you know about, like, just through videos and magazines about that scene and everything? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, man, I knew every, yeah. Like, you know, as soon as I showed up, there was James Kelt and LeVar McBride, and it was crazy, you know. And I just, like, tried to fit in, and I... And everybody's pretty chilling, man. Everybody's cool. And then um, I remember um, I ran into Chris Sen, um, who I had met in Connecticut years ago, and I met him at Woodward, too. And he's like, come stay at my house for a couple of days. That so, dude, that, sorry to interrupt, but that dude is like one of my favorite Yeah, so he's fast. the best. Best so dude fast ever. Dude. Yeah, so I lived with um, Chris Sen for probably, I, you know, come stay for a couple of days, and that was like a four-month run, you <laughs> know. It was like Woodbridge, you're like, I'm going to go for, you know, 12 days. Yeah, and he, was, he was going to art school, and his first son had just been born, so he would go to art school every day, and I'd just go skating, you know, yeah. and I tried to, like, be invisible as much as possible, and me being invisible, like, led me to stay there for, like, four months, and then finally he's like, dude, you got to go, you know, <laughs> yeah. and it was random because I was skating out at that, like, Lincoln School out in the avenues of San Francisco, and I run into this dude that looks super familiar. I'm like, who is that tall, skinny dude? Like, I know that guy. And it was Rob Welsh. Oh, sick. Yeah, and he had just moved out there. And I had skated Boston Financial District with that dude, like, a couple years prior. And I remember we had a sick time because he was ripping, and I was like, you're from Maine? Crazy. Yeah. I have relatives from Maine. I'm from Connecticut. And we made friends, and then here we are in San Francisco, and there he is. Both going for yeah. yeah, like for And it. I'm like, holy shit. And he's like, yeah, man, I live over here. Come chill, you know. And we went over to his house, and there's Sattva oh, living, his roommate. And then... Um, was Sattva on Toy Machine then? Nah. No, nah, okay. he was trying to be. And um, there was, like, four dudes living in this two-bedroom, you know. And so, Skate like, I, yeah, so I, like, stayed on the couch for a day or two, and that turned into another four months. Oh, sick. You know? <laughs> you and, don't have uh, to pay rent in any of these spots. No, no. And a matter of fact, like, I had... Two bucks in my pocket at the most, like every day, you know. So it'd be like, here's an old think board. I'd go down a, you know, Hate Street and try to sell an old used, you know, think board Get for like ten bucks, twelve bucks. Yeah, go buy a piece of pizza for a buck and a quarter, and then like buy a forty ounce of beer for ninety nine cents, you know, or something, whatever I could, you know, and um, and it worked out. Those dudes looked out for me and took good care of me, and I'm I'm sure they were over it. You know, and a matter of fact, eventually they kicked me out of there. But I had met this girl, so I went to Santa Cruz and stayed with the girl that I had met, and we were kind of dating. And then, um, and then I ended up Satva got on Toy Machine, and then I ended up getting on Toy Machine shortly after. Just through knowing Satva and like talking. Yeah, and I had met Jamie Thomas, um, you know, years ago, and like that was what was the team then? It was Jamie Satva Ed. Um, Panama was, Dan was Musk on then? No, uh, yeah, he gotten on right right before. Okay. Yeah. Um. So it was uh, it was rad, dude. Getting sponsored by um, Toy Machine, I couldn't believe it because uh, I'd get boxes and sometimes foundation gear would be in there. Oh, you know? sick! Yeah. And everything in the box would just be so cool. Yeah. And I just like stare at everything, touch it, and put the shirts on, and just look at it, and be like, I can't <laughs> believe this, this is so insane. That's the trip, yeah. You know, and then when I got sponsored by them, they actually gave, sent me a letter, and everybody wrote something and signed it, and I actually have the letter. Everyone on the team? Yeah. Damn, that's yeah, sick. And so that, they were, like, all down for it. They yeah. They talked, it was, like, yep. that close-knit. Yeah. That's sick, dude. It was uh. insane, yeah. And, um, and then we ended up going on some filming trips, and, you know, I just took advantage of every chance to do 
to get tricks on film. Well, well, what did they write? Did they all sign it, or did they each write? You they know? all wrote something. Like Ed wrote, "Welcome to the team, Donnie." You know, and then signed it. And then Chad Muska wrote, like, you know, awesome. Like, you know, welcome to the team, Donnie. I love Chad Muska. <laughs> but he actually it was rad because Muska's what Muska wrote. He wrote it in like this crazy like gangster like um, like gangster font because he used to be a, a gnarly like. He used to really get get out there and do the graffiti stuff. Yeah, yeah. And he had like a lot of notebooks where he did a lot, a lot of that like crazy like cholo type. <laughs> Sick, yeah. Um, font, you know, because he lived in Arizona and he lived in Vegas and I don't know. Another aspect of Chad Muska that people yeah. don't really know too much about, but he was an ill artist. So um, yeah, I still have that letter though. That's <laughs> rad, dude. That's such a cool thing to keep. Yeah. 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 Don't ever. Th- I mean, don't, no, I have throw a, it on eBay. No. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Scoop that up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. So, and then, then right after that, Dan Wolf, um, who I had met before, prior or whatever, he was doing that underachievers video, and yeah. he asked me if I wanted to get some clips for it. So we got some clips around San Francisco, and he was impressed and decided he wanted to try to give me a part. And then I was like completely all in for that opportunity. So I told Ed I needed to fly back to the East Coast to film in Boston and Phil- in Philly and stuff. So he bought me a ticket. Why, why did you why did you decide to do that? I mean, well, Dan came out to San Francisco to film, and he and he was out on the he East was out Coast. in Pennsylvania, okay, okay. yeah. So then he's like, well, hey man, I'm only out here for a couple of weeks, but if you can come back to the East Coast, it'd be killer, you know. Yeah. And so when I ended up going out there, I flew back out and. Did you pay for the flight yourself? Or no, Ed and Todd Swank bought the ticket Dance. for me because I told them I was had an opportunity to be in the video part, and I thought it was a good investment for them. Yeah, for sure see if what I could do, you know, and what I could achieve for this video part. And then, um, yeah, I just worked with Dan for months um, out there, skating in Boston, skating in Philly, and everywhere else, D.C., you know, Wilmington, Delaware. And um, we just stacked and stacked and stacked clips, and we stayed with Ricky Iola for a long time. And it was rad, man. It was, that was, you know, the beginning of, like, me trying to sort of, like, have a voice in skateboarding. I mean, you know? I think it did it did its job because I know a lot of people love that video part, and that's like that's a big part of skate history. Like, I'm sure I could interview 20 pros, and they would throw that in their top five for sure, dude. Yeah, so I, you did a good job. Thanks, man. <laughs> yeah, thanks. At the time, like I said, we were, you know, I was just trying to tap into, um, you know, as much depth as I could, pull out of myself, you know, as far as, you know, advancing my skateboarding, you know, so we'd be in Boston looking around for spots and we'd stumble upon something and just, all right, like, I think I might try to grind this thing, you know, not really knowing I had the ability to do it and just building and half hour later I got the clip, you know, and same thing that, you know, um, anybody would do today, but like, um, I feel like back then, um, skateboarding was just like more, um, it was in a different position or stance or place you know yeah so like what we were trying to do was we were trying to give, trying to progress give, it and yeah like it. give skateboarding something that maybe it hasn't seen even though all those things have already been achieved and pioneered like let's try to do those tricks in a different way and a different place you know where you know or something i don't know oh, yeah. and at the time like a lot of the veterans knew that there was rad terrain to skate on the east coast but like nobody had really taken advantage of like what there really was there you yeah know? for sure and um mostly just the the dudes that live there you know would take advantage of it you know and so we'd find spots in boston and try to tackle them and 
you know, see if we could get clips, and we, you know, we did our best. I still know? feel that way with, like, the East Coast. I talk about that all the time, Boston, Providence. I always feel like there's still, you can still go there, and there's this stuff you can still find, and you can still push it. It's not oversaturated, like, right. when you go out to California or somewhere out there, where it's just, like, everyone's attacking every spot. A new spot pops up, it's dead in a week. Knobs mm-hmm. killed, people already got tricks, police are on it. Out here, I feel like there's still untouched areas it's just i love the east coast yeah (laughs) i love these cities for sure yeah me too um you know and um i mean i love everywhere i've been out west west though yeah yeah, that's just i'm not trying i'm not that guy you know like everything that i've been able to to see and experience on the west coast has just been like mind-blowing you know yeah it's definitely like there's good and bad to each coast for sure i talk about that all the time like for sure california is like the sun's always shining it's beautiful like there's a lot of good things. But what's sure. really cool is being able to have the ability to go out to the West Coast, soak up all that stuff like a sponge. You know, yeah. all the spots, all the people, all the vibes, all the, the tricks and the inspiration. And then, like, you know, all of a sudden you go home and you're like this bottle of new energy and vibes. And then, like, you get to the East Coast and apply that. Kind like, of share it with everyone yeah, else. Yeah, and it's just like, whoa. Like you bring new life back because you learned new life when you were out there. Yeah, I don't know. I felt sure. like that happened to me a lot. You know, I was able to, you know. Because, well, like, a lot of people don't get to do that out here. There's not that many pro skateboarders even to this day. We have more, obviously, but when you were doing it, definitely wasn't that many. So to go out there and come back, you're like the local hero, you know what I mean? <laughs> so to come back and see the skate scene and just bring back all these stories, like energy for sure, man. It's it's hard to come up from, from the East Coast even today. And back then, I, it's, it was probably ten times harder, you know? So yeah. to do it, like, is impressive, and that's definitely what, what I imagine. Like, I, I still experience that now. I go on trips and I come back, and I feel like I kind of just, like, I have some stories and excitement to talk about and new things I've seen, and it's like the skate community, and we all talk about it, and just kind of like everyone gets psyched, you know, and bubbled up, it bubbles up, and everyone gets psyched, and yeah. we go charge Boston and Providence, and same yeah. thing, dude. Yeah, I remember coming back and, um, you know, getting together with the old crew. We had a crew called Team 911, right. and Bri- Bri- Brian <laughs> Anderson, yeah, it was right. Brian Anderson was in there, you know, and yeah. my best friend Jason Case. Um, and a handful of others, and I'd come back from California and just, you know, find these guys and skate with them and talk about, like, what it's like and share the experiences with them, and, like, I, you know, I hounded Brian Anderson, hounded him, you know, (laughs) like, you have to, you know, go out to California, like, you know, it's, it's waiting for you and your skateboarding ability, dude, he was, you know, so darn good at skating, you know. He's a beast. Yeah, and I just say, yeah, and like, so, you know, like I was saying, I, I, like, you know, went out and absorbed everything like a sponge, and, you know, I was like this bottle of, you know, like a bottle of energy or whatever, and then, like, I brought the bottle back to the East Coast and opened it up, and, hey, Brian, drink some of this, you know, or whatever, and then, like, you know. Well, because, yeah, for sure, on the East Coast, when you're here, you skateboard, but it's not, the mindset's not, like, hey, you can make it, you're going to get sponsored. It's like, yeah. hey, i got to finish high school, get a job, work. Yeah. That's like the mentality. It's more yeah. blue-collar. So you coming back on the West Coast with all these stories of like, oh, look at this, this is what's going on. Like it's a whole movement and totally. then bringing it here for sure, man. Yeah, and then, um, you know, he ended up going out there and he was living in the Sacto area with some other friends from Connecticut. And then, you know, we ended up getting him attached to, to the whole toy machine thing eventually, oh, yeah, which was magical, you know what I mean? So, Such so. a heavy team, dude. So it all ended up, uh, you know, it, it 
How did how did you meet Brian originally? Like where did you um, first meet? Actually, him? when I was like fourteen or something, I went to this carnival and there was fireworks. It was on the Navy base, and I like looked over, and I seen a bunch of dudes that looked like skaters, and one of them was Brian, and he had like the blonde like hair, and it was coming across like Bones Brigade style, <laughs> and he had like a jean jacket with a bunch of punk rock band pins on it and stuff I and mean, i think he might have had like a bandana around his wrist or something you know he was kind of like Flared up. a little bit you know what i mean and his boys you know kind of had like um like vision streetwear on or airwalks on or something so i knew that those fools skated and i kept on like scoping them out like what like and they were like checking me out like dude that guy has vision streetwears on too or something you know <laughs> so like i saw like you know i was like there's like some of my kind over there you yeah, know for sure and then, like, I think, like, about, like, two weeks later or something, we're skating Jason's ramp, and, like, up the driveway, we see a couple kids walking with boards under their arm, and it was Brian and his buddy Joe. And they had heard about the airport ramp, you know? And um, so they just had their parents drop them off, like, downtown, and then they, like, snuck and skated over to the airport ramp and walked up the driveway because they saw us skating. That's and right. They, like, walked up, didn't say anything, they're, like, staring at us, and we're staring at them, and we're skating, <laughs> and, like, we're kind of just, like, then, like, after, like, ten minutes, we're, like... Dude, just skate. Like, Brian, Brian was, like, hey, uh, am I right on the ramp, you know? And, like, we're just, like, uh, I guess it's okay, yeah, sure. <laughs> You know, and then him and his friend Joe started pumping around and like, dude, within like an hour, Brian like learned a bunch of new tricks and like, you know, and then by the end of the day, it was like, dude, Jason, man, it's crazy. Like, we thought we were the only ones. Now yeah. now there's Brian and Joe. And then like, you know, later, like our scene grew and there was more of us like over time, you know? Yeah. But in the beginning, it was just like me and Jason like trying to um, learn how to pump on his ramp and like. Learned how to turn front side and like you know. It must have been funny. cool to have like a, a a new crew for sure. Like. Yeah, and Brian was like super like expressive on street. His street ability was gnarly. Yeah. You know, like he actually could fling three sixty flips. I don't think he was landing them yet, but um, we were tripping out because we could do kick flips and varial kick flips, and I think I could do heel flips and shove it and stuff. But like Brian was like next level, and he cruised around street. Like like Tommy Guerrero, you know. Yeah. So we were like, oh, like dude, we'll teach him how to ride the ramp better, and then we'll have him teach us how to do all that stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's crazy. Um, I mean, none of this was ever talked about. Like we didn't talk about it. We didn't say it. It was, it was just, just what it is. Yeah, like dude, I want to skate with that guy Brian more. You know. And then we'd go and skate. He lived on the other side of town, so like we'd go to stay. At, my parent, our parents would bring us to his house, and we'd explore like his whole zone. And like, dude, Brian's got mad spots over by his house, you know. And so it was, it was killer. You're still like good friends with with uh, Brian. Yeah, 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 yeah. We yeah. I was supposed to actually go to the the premiere in New York the other day, but oh, that's right. Dude. He got me a ticket, and um, but I just I just got buried with with family stuff, so I just I was like, oh, I'm just gonna buy it when it comes out on. Um, I think it comes out tomorrow. Damn, sick! I'm so hyped to see that video. Yeah. Um. All right. So let's let's take a break. Um. From that, and uh, I want to kind of get to some of the questions that people ask me on my Instagram and my Facebook and Twitter and stuff. Yep. Um. This one is from Stephen at Focus. All right. He said, "Is it awkward when someone uses the term barley grind in front of you?" No. Nah, there was a time where it was a little awkward. Um. When I was a little bit younger, you know, a lot more insecure and a lot more kind of freaked out by like you know like I was proud of myself for finding success in skating and 
you know, um, and whatnot. But I think it was just like strange to have a name like a yeah. trick, you know. Like it I seemed- actually started doing the tricks, and then it was printed in a magazine that it was called the Barley Grind, you know. And I was kind of like, whoa. And then it seemed like everybody was just starting to call it a barley grind. You yeah, know? it seems like yeah. that's a certain level of success in skateboarding. If you, I mean, if you can get a trick named after yeah. yourself, that's kind of history. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, that's yeah. going to be there, especially in print. So I see it being kind of awkward a little bit in, yeah. in the beginning. Yeah, and I was really, really shy and, and um, you know, so I was... Do you ever call it the barley grind? No, no, I don't think I ever have, actually. No, you're just like, just, I'm going to go do that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I usually, like, I'll do frontside 180 switch Smith over here. Like, hey, I want to switch 180 Smith on that thing over there, <laughs> you know? So, um, just, was that something that you that you saw in a video, or is that just something you're like, oh, I think I could do this and try it? Yeah, no, that we were, I was skating. I had lived with um, Tom Penny and Chad Muska in um, Newport Beach, California. Before that, I was, like, staying with Ed Templeton in Huntington. And Ed actually um, lived a block away from that Huntington Beach skate park. And at the Huntington Beach skate park was this really rad flat bar. Yeah. You ever skate that? Yeah, I've been there. They took it out. I think the park's gone now. Oh, really? Unfortunately, they might have built a new one. But yeah, that flat bar was cool. Yeah, and we used to just try to get get down on that thing. And I remember Tom was super ahead of his time. And he would switch back lip in it and switch lip in it. And and so, you know, Muska was doing Nolly 180 to switch crook. And, you know, so I was like trying to bring my version of something unique to yeah, the sessions, you know. Step it up and like, right. That's sick. So um, I remember, you know, doing uh, Fake Yali to switch Smith Grind. Oh, yeah. You know, and then, you know, different variations ended up coming. And I started fumbling with the switch 180 to Smith Grind. And then I'd do switch 180 to Smith Grind to 180 out. And then. One day I was like, well, why don't I just do frontside 180 to a switch myth grind, you know, yeah. see what happens. And then it, it started to work. And then I started to, like, get good at it, actually. Yeah, that you seems know? like an awkward one to have unlocked, but you do, yeah. Yeah, and then I started to, like, figure out how to turn into it, and it just didn't really seem like it was really that difficult. What about backside? Have you messed with it? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Did, I did a ton of that stuff. But what I would do is I would do fake Yali into switch backside smith grind oh, and and that was like the first version of the backside sort of thought yeah. process or whatever and yeah then, it makes sense because you can get into it comfortably without missing it right much yeah. and i always sucked at switch backside 180s because that shoulder movement just is always tough for me yeah it's a tough um so switch frontside boards and switch backside 180 to backside smith just seemed like it was like way off in space way yeah. beyond my reach you know and then but the backside 181 that Matt Bennett does and uh, the Bennett grind right? it's that was like I was definitely like boggled like damn dude like I want to be able to do that at some point you know and and played with it for a while and landed it a handful of times but it was never like yours is you know, front side yeah <laughs> you know what I mean um all right well we got more questions right. um let's see what this one is all right I think we already touched on this this was when you were coming out, pros you looked up to, we already got that one. That was Bob Costa. What I up? remember Bob. What up, Bob? I know you're out there. The camera's off, so we don't have to Bobby. Bobby. All right. Corey Johnson wants to know, and welcome to hell, how many tries did it take um, for you to do the unforgettable barley grind and then the switch barley grind, and how does it feel to have a grind named after yourself? So, I mean, we already kind of talked about how it feels to have it named after you, but how many tries did it take to do that line? Um, The main thing I was starting to do was I was smith grinding the top rail, 
And then once I started doing that, I knew that I had to break the ice with um, trying to switch 180 to uh, Smith grind down it. Yeah. So I was trying to do switch 180 to 5.0. You know what I mean? Yeah, switch just to get over it. Yeah, yeah, yeah and I just feel it. good, you know? Yeah. And I did a few of those, I think. And then, um, yeah, I just started locking into Smith. And then eventually... Um, you know, I landed a couple, and I was like, okay, so it's it's possible, you know. How far was that second rail rail from the first one? It was uh, a it couple went, pushes. I don't. No I pushes. It, it was just quick. Yeah. Right. You had to kind of time your first trick. Because it seems like if you got down. the first one, you'd be hyped enough to just like kind of like, all right, that's okay. that's what it ended up happening. Basically, yeah. like I had never done a frontside 180 switch Smith down a rail before. Yeah. I'd only done them on flat bars. Yep. And so I knew that I was way more consistent at switch 180 landing into a Smith grind yeah. because Smith grinds like was like a strong trick for me, you know. So I was like, all right, if I can do the, um, if I land a clean switch 180 to Smith grind, I just have no choice but to just go for it on the switch 180 one. I mean, on the on the 180 regular yeah, switch yeah. Smith, you know. And so I had one attempt where I actually went for it. And instead of it going into Smith, I did, like, I was almost into, like, a hurricane or something. Yeah, like an awkward board slide. Yeah, yeah, it didn't lock, you yeah. know. But that was, like, my first real, like, I, like I'm like i going to try to, you know, make it turn. And I was scared out of my wits, dude. I don't, I just, I was scared out of my wits, dude. <laughs> I believe it, You know, because I had never done it on a rail. And it just seemed, That's probably back the- then, like, those, that was two eight-stair rails. And, um, you know, thinking back, that's, like, tiny compared to what's going down now. Yeah. But, like, at that stage, you know, if you could do anything like a no-slide on an eight-stair eight stair rail, like, you were, you were on point, you know what I mean? It seemed like that those might have been the first ones on a rail, like a legit rail, like a, like a front 180 switch Smith. It seems like that was the, probably the first one I've ever seen on a rail, on a handrail. They might have. Yeah, I, we need I to, never saw anybody do it. But. If anyone out there knows, just write into us and let us know if anyone did it before Donnie on a handrail. But <laughs> I mean, that was definitely the ones that were the most famous for sure that started the barley grind for sure. So you did the first one and then the second one. So how long did it take? Then Yeah, then I think um, it just took, you know, a bunch of tries of me just getting the guts to come out of the Switch 180 Smith grind perfect. And breathe a little bit in between the flat space, yeah. and just go for it, you know. Oh, yeah. And then, and then it just—it literally, I got the one, I locked on it, and then like I just had my weight just right and came off the end of it. And as soon as I landed, like it just didn't even seem real, dude. Uh, it did not even seem real. <laughs> and Jamie, Jamie Thomas was filming it, and he just was like speechless. It was the coolest thing. He he was so proud of me, man. Yeah, you know, because because right. we were trying to basically take this video project to the next level. And I had a lot of confidence because I had just done that underachievers video with Dan, and um, Jamie was just taking his skating like you. I, I mean, he was doing things that were impossible. You know, yeah, his part, his in grinding, video. the rails he was grinding were just not even really. I couldn't even. It, it was. It, it was unreal. The shit he did in that video, you could put it out today and still be like, yeah, oh, you it know was what I mean? Terrible, yeah. You know, so to hear, you know, him just like we're in the car driving back to his house and. You know, I'm just kind of sitting there, like, like in, like, in the I didn't even feel like I was alive, dude. I was somewhere else, man. I was like, do you know? Because I really, like I said, I wanted to try to bring a creative aspect to my skateboard, to my video part. You know, I wanted to, 
you know, Sattva had like the most creative skateboarding going on. He skated his nose really good. He could do nolly frontside crooked grinds and just jam it in there. And, and he, he he had like such a unique thing going on. And then like Panama Dan, he could like, you know, he had this unreal pop. And, and then Ed is Ed and he had all the history. And From Feebles. You know, and then, and so like I just had to find a way for myself to like um, have an edge. So I had to make my edge, you know. Yeah. And that yeah. was like, you know. That was the one, the the one trick that was, you know, I had a trick list, you know, and that was the one that was like, that ain't going down. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just written there in the event that like, <laughs> I get inspired enough to just go kill myself. You it's, know, it's rad. And then it came, it came to fruition. You yeah, know what that's I mean? awesome. And then it's just like, you know, it's, it's just a testament to show like you really don't know what you're capable of until you get into it and no, try it. Like, exactly. Is a fear. Anybody thing. can do anything that they want if they just believe in themselves and, and put the effort into it straight up. I don't, you know, I mean, you have to have a degree of talent for sure. Um, and I don't really enjoy watching skateboarding that's like... Too like, robotic. Too, or too crazy. Like someone's yeah. just living on a prayer. Like that's, oh, you know oh, what I mean? oh, well, no skill. Yeah, you know, it's like, oh, my God. Like, like it's kind of dangerous, you know, you're praying for the, yeah, wow. That's something I love about skating, though, is, like, and this is why I don't think skating should ever be a sport. And, I mean, I know they're trying to, the people are trying to turn it into a sport with all these huge contests. But I really don't feel it should go that direction. I feel it should be more like music, like where it's self-expression. And it's like, if it's like that, it's rad because then you can have the dude that maybe doesn't have that much skill but can still film a video part that's entertaining and mm-hmm. people like. And mm-hmm. and then you have the people that have incredible skill and talent, you know. And uh, I just feel like um, we shouldn't be boxed in in these huge contests and that shouldn't be, like, the only way to make money in skateboarding. There should be a – we need to keep pushing, in, you know, videos and just find different ways to make uh, – monetize it, you know what I mean, if, if that's what you want to do as a professional. But, uh, yeah, so – I mean, skateboarding is more self-expression, and and I like that, and that's a, something that's I'm, I'm sure you could agree, man. It's yeah, rad. there's I agree. so many different types of people, so many different types of skating. It's impossible to box it in. Yeah, it's impossible. Like you can't, because then if you do, you miss out on so many awesome skateboarders and so many different ways to do it. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I agree with everything that you just said. I mean, I, uh, you know, I we've seen some people get ultra creative, like even just with their skating, with their music selection, and with their fashion. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Like, dude, um, you know, and, yeah, it's just, there's room for everybody, I think. That, well, that's one of the reasons I want to do the podcast, was because I feel like, I feel like skateboarders, it's not just tricks. You know what I mean? We're we're individuals in, in our travels and the lessons we learn from skating. The lessons we learned from skating have made us unique and different, and the way skating makes you look at the world makes you different and unique, and I feel like we have more than just tricks. Like, people have awesome stories and are inspirations, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, could inspire people, and uh, I feel like there's so much more depth to skateboarders. I mean, to humans in general, but especially skateboarders, because that's the world I understand. There's such a depth to us, and I don't feel like there's an avenue to really share it. Like, you can say it in an interview, but you don't know if anyone's going to read it, and it's like kids don't want to read it for the most part they rip it open and they look through the magazine and like even i try to read as many as i can but it just doesn't come across the same as hearing it in someone's yeah. voice like you talking about doing the barley grind and jamie being speechless like i could have read that in print and been like that's sick but seeing seeing you and hearing you 
it's like I felt like I was in the moment. I felt like I was off to the side watching you do it and just seeing how awesome it was. Like, so I feel like the podcast helps to kind of like expose the inner you. You know what I mean? Like not just tricks and other other skateboarders, but not just tricks, but also like their um, their beliefs and what they stand for and what drives them and drives them to skate and push themselves as individuals and people. Um, and I'm sure you know you feel the same way because you've met so many amazing skateboarders over the years and. Yeah, man. I've been bad. able to meet almost everybody, you know, and yeah. it's been, it's pretty nuts, pretty blessed. <laughs> Hell yeah! All right, well we'll go to another question. I'm sorry about my little rant there, but uh, <laughs> it's been awesome doing this, like with Nick and now with you. It's just been really a cool experience, and uh, I want to keep going because I even want to do outside of skateboarding. I want to do like because I feel like my audience is going to be skateboarding, so it'd be cool to bring like maybe a business person in that owns business and talk to them and let them explain how they succeeded and maybe skateboarders can pick that up and hear it, you know what I mean? Or, or an artist, a music, musician, or someone. Um, all right, more questions. I got the most questions for Donnie because everyone was hitting up uh, Facebook, Twitter, and uh, Instagram and uh, got a lot of questions. Michael Worth wrote, back in the toy, ma- toy machine days, after Welcome to Hell pre-jump off a building, there was a demo at the Pipes... Pipe Skate Park in Janesville, Wisconsin. Donnie, you ripped it up. All the riders did, but two sat out. Which two and why? <laughs> Do you even remember that? Uh, Wisconsin, Wisconsin, Janesville is Pipe Skate Park. Apparently, you were ripping, but two two of the riders sat out. So it was Toy Machine days. Before Welcome to Hell? Yeah. Uh, no, after Welcome to Hell, pre-jump off a building. Hmm. So pretty much right there. Do you remember the demo? No. I mean, you've been all over the world, so that's kind of like... I'm trying to remember Wisconsin. The pipe. I wonder if the park's still around. Let me look it up. Let's see. Maybe we can pull it up. Is it... What's it called again? The pipe. P-I-P-E. Pipe skate park? I wonder if it's an indoor one. Let's see. Maybe we can look it up. Pipe skate park. Oh, yeah. Janesville. Right there. Um, I don't know if this is going to be... I'm sure they changed it a bit, but... Yeah, I don't really think... I was going to say Bam and Alyssa, maybe. But that might have been before they were on the team. Well, uh, okay. Were they known to sit out of demos? No, not at all, man. We all charged it. If somebody sat out, it's probably because they had, like, a big, huge ankle or somebody was hurt or something. Yeah, I mean, it was very, very uncommon for us to not open a big, huge can of whoop-ass at a demo because that's pretty much what we thrived on doing, you know? Yeah, like... And that was, like, the toy machine motto. You just, you, you show up, and you just get blocked. We actually went to see Jadakiss that time, remember? Yeah, yeah. hell yeah. <laughs> that was pretty That's well. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, do you remember where you were for 9-11? Yeah, yeah. I was actually living in Santa Monica. I had an apartment with TJ Ladd, and um, I woke up, and I was actually scheduled to fly to Toronto with um, Keith Kirchart and a few other of the America guys. Um, and, um, yeah, Kenny Hughes lived down the street, and he called me up and was like, dude, turn on your TV. And I turned on the TV, and I couldn't even, you know, believe what I was seeing, you know? Because you had, I'm sure you had new skaters from New York and oh, yeah. the whole thing. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. And, um, and then, like I said, I called my America team manager, Justin um, Regan, and he was oh, like, hell yeah. 
you know what, we're not going anywhere. They're grounding all these flights, and we got to get to the bottom of what's going on here. So just stay put. Don't go nowhere and and lay low, you know? Yeah, and man. And so um, we just kind of stayed glued to the TV. My dad called. My mom called. And we just kind of, you know, sat back with, you know, our mouths wide open and just kind of, Dude, nine eleven is going on right yeah, now. Yeah, it's surreal. And I, I, I remember even after nine eleven, like um, my attitude kind of changed, and um, I kind of almost found myself living a little bit more, maybe recklessly. Yeah, slightly because it was like the first time in the history of my existence that there was a threat to, you know. Um, to what we're doing, <laughs> you know, like, you know, so it kind of made you, like, gum up. I mean, I, feel, I, I felt like, me personally, I, like, turned up my personal volume or something because it was, like, you just, it gave you the feeling that this could be, your, like, your last day, so you better go big. It, it kind of like, got you know, rid of our false security of, like, the, the the safety we have in this country. Like, you feel untouchable because America is such a gigantic fucking superpower that just polices the world, and it's it's crazy to think that, like, Hey, someone could just sacrifice their life to like destroy yeah. people, our country, yeah. and it just, just that, and just having that amount, having that hate, knowing that hate's out there, and that people are willing to do that, definitely makes you feel like, hey, we're vulnerable for sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. America, we've always felt like we're untouchable. No one's gonna come to our soil, but that smashed that whole illusion for sure, man. Yeah, it was uncomprehendable for quite a few days. Yeah. Hell yeah. Um, okay, we got another question, Nate. C, Nate Can Neff. Um, will you ever let age get in the way of your skating? Uh-uh. Um, my body's beat up a little bit right now. I got a couple little things going on with my back ankle, which sucks. I would love to be able to go get surgery and um, get that dialed in. But at the moment, like, my health insurance situation is a little, little crazy, you know? I'm sure it is for everyone. Yeah, yeah. Um, Obamacare. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh... Like I'm still skating, man. You know, I'm 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 out there whenever I get the chance. I work a lot. I got the kids and um, a lot of priorities and responsibilities to keep up with. So that stuff comes first, and I get on my board to reward myself when I get my work done. Hell you yeah. know, and um and I think I'll be skating for as long. I mean, I'm gonna skate for as long as I can. You know, and there's inspiration out there in the likes of you know Dwayne Peters and Lance Mountain and. You know, even older than that, you know, and um, it's unbelievable. You do, know? do you think I, we could ever see a, a Donnie Barley like a, a pad up and vert like tranny like padded up doing like Lance Mountain kind of, you know, pools yeah. and shit like that? You think that? I don't know. Um, you know, we'll see where the road takes us. You know, I feel like my kids have been getting older, you know, so fast. And I've actually found that as the older that they get, the more. Um, easy it is for me to slip out the back door oh, hell and yeah. kind of like go go sneak in a little skate session at the basketball court with the homies or you know drive over here to hit the park or whatever it might be and um Dewey called I don't even know how to pronounce Dewey C I don't know how to pronounce your last name what's the gnarliest thing you saw in NYC it's pretty gnarliest thing you saw in NYC the older they get, the more ability I'll have to kind of, like, work on me, you yeah, know? Yeah. And I'm kind of, like, I'm thrilled at the moment that I'm at, and I don't want to change anything. I just want to live, live happily in the moment, you know? Hell yeah. Um, but for sure, in the back of my head, there's a little bit of, like, oh, shit. Like, <laughs> you know, in yeah. a couple of years from now, man, like, you know, like, you'll be able to do this, that, and the other. 
and you know so just be patient for right now yeah you know? and just telling myself that just to sort of get me you know to, to sort of keep my skating desires like in a little bottle for now you yeah, know what I mean? yeah, yeah um and we'll see you know there might be it, it, it could blow up on my face that bottle could break and the desires could go away or responsibility can overwhelm me to the point where I just can't get to where I want to get to. But I got kids to take care of and that's my main goal. And, and, and that's what that's what really fuels my heart right now. Yeah, you know? and that's and so, admirable. Yeah, sure. and I've had, you know, but, you know, plenty of things to achieve. I've, you know, been able to achieve way more than I thought I could and I had like a really nice, you know, decade and a half of, experiences that no one can ever take away from me. You yeah. know what I mean? So like rather than be selfish and put myself first, it's just I'm doing exactly what I what I feel like I sh- I'm supposed to be doing right now. Yeah, it and, seems like and, you're on the right path. Yeah, and, and to be honest, like I'm actually proud of myself for sort of you know, being being able to lose a lot of that ego yeah. and lose a lot of that selfishness and that becoming a father will strip all that from you, whether you like it or not. I can imagine. I can imagine, dude. (laughs) You know, it's a blessing, man. Yeah, it's great to, you know, I mean, some of the tough times we went through, you know, me and the wifey, um, they're all for a reason. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And and so it's a a rad ride when you, um, you know, can be, can see what has happened and look at it and not be... You know, they take it for what it is and, and, and learn from it, you know, or yeah. whatever, you know. It's, it's kind of it's kind of rad that, like, you've lived your life and you've experienced so much and you've grown to the point where you're able to create a life and allow that life to do the same thing, to go out there, to learn, to experience, and you're able to pass your knowledge and wisdom. It just comes full circle. Yeah. And it's rad that you're able to do that, and it's cool because you've had so much life experience, so many awesome experiences so many i'm sure bad experiences oh, yeah. too that oh, come yeah. with it just, it's not all roses out there yeah so that's <laughs> rad to be able to pass those on that that's mm-hmm. that's the definition of being a good parent is you know living your life and understanding your life and your purpose and then being able to to kind of nurture your children to un- find their purpose and you can give them jewels along the way as far as survival goes you know and help them out make it a little less of a struggle for the yeah, year. and this is interesting too because one thing that was a real, um, a real big gear turner, like for my brain and for my life, was um, you know my father actually getting cancer, you know, which was a tough one to swallow, obviously, and you know he fought it for well over a year, and eventually it got him, you know, and um, he passed on, but like um, throughout that process, like. Um, you know, there was just, like, a lot of, like, uh, forced maturity, you know, like, I kind of had to, I kind of couldn't, you know, walk through certain doors, you know, I was, like, I had to, I had to, like, physically, to get to the next level, I had to, like, physically beat the door down, you know, and to yeah. beat the door down, I had to, like, take my understanding of maturity to a new understanding, you know, it's, like, yeah. weird, because my dad passed, and I felt like within, like, a year of his passing, like, that next year, like, the growth during that year was, like, insane. It kind of shook things up and yeah. made you rethink everything yeah. and start, like, looking yeah. in a different directions. Life, life came, like, a little, look, you know, like, it just, um, you know, my father was, like, my biggest inspiration my whole entire life, you know, who he was, what he did, and what he stood for, and how he held it down, and it's it's insane, and to, um, you know, to lose that inspiration was tough, bro, you know what I mean? Yeah, but, uh, absolutely. But, like, it was, it was a beautiful 
it was a beautiful circle that it provided, you know, because, you know, I got a lot out of it. You well, know? yeah, in the end, it's almost like, you know, his, his death caused you to grow in, in a better light, so it's it's kind of full circle in that aspect, too. Yeah, and you you lost your dad. Yeah, you exactly. I understand. And, and that's too, why, because yeah. when you were young, you carried a maturity about yourself that always boggled me. Yeah. And I, I bet you... And it was, you know, from, it was from losing a loved one, for sure. It forced yeah. me to... Uh, because when you lose someone, you realize someone that's really close to you that you love, you, you don't realize that that life is short. And as soon as someone passes away, it gives you that sense like, oh man, like this could happen to anyone. Like Anybody. time is precious. Anybody. Life is precious. Like especially being a thirteen, when I lost my father at thirteen, I, I was already struggling with my mother's addictions and uh, had a very unstable life. And when my father passed, it just kind of put things into perspective that life is short and that. This is our moment right now. Like us talking right now is an awesome moment. You know what I mean? And we need to enjoy it because, and I hope not, knock on wood, on your drive home you could get hit oh, yeah. and be gone. And I'd be like, damn, you know, like Donnie's gone. And that's kind of what losing my father brought out was like, oh, man, like life is so fragile. Like I need to enjoy it and I need to work real hard and I need to take it serious. Yeah. To a point, like, to a fault almost, I took it too serious as a young kid because then after a while you, you learn, okay, life is serious, but you need to have moments to laugh and enjoy as well. But, yeah, I mean, that that's something that if you've never experienced a close death in your life, like, it forces you to grow in a whole other way that you don't even know is there. And yeah. it gives you a whole different perspective of how you treat people, how you act, how you treat yourself, how you treat your moments, how you treat your experiences. You just realize how valuable this life is. Yeah, I was I was holding my dad's hand when he took his last breath. You know, wow, that's insane. Telling him, you know, that it was all right to move on. You know, and um, uh, like <laughs> sounds kind of crazy, but like I felt like, you know, part of that part of the, his soul, you know, jumped into me. To I mean, of, who knows? To, to that me. that could be the case. <laughs> who knows, dude? We to sort of help direct me. You know, not that I was, you know, not that I was like you know, completely lost in the world or anything. It was definitely, like, a struggle watching him go through what he was going through, you know. And at the time, I'm trying to learn how to be a new father yeah. and a homeowner and how to how to change the the filter in my boiler in the basement. And like, well, I, you know, just, I like, a lot, of, a big transformation. You yeah, know what I mean? Because a couple of years there, it was like I had all the money that I needed, yeah. and then all of a sudden, I wanted to settle down, and then all of a sudden... I didn't have money because my contract ended. Yeah. And it was just like, holy shit, dude. Like, I went through a couple of years of um, of craziness, dude, you know? But, like, I actually came out on top, you know? Absolutely. So. And that that's kind of like, I feel like... Uh, skateboarding I'll, made me do that, dude. It you know builds I mean? you up, dude. Skateboarding, like, all the years of skateboarding, falling down and getting up and not quitting. You yeah, know hell I mean? yeah, hell like, yeah. It taught you the lessons to be able to survive those moments. Right, and to take care of my family, you know? Yeah. And then my family's inspiration giving me... Um, you know, giving me the inspiration since day one, yeah. you know, not to be a cool, you know, whatever, like, just to keep going and they, they tough it out, tough it out, you know, tough it out. I feel like, like, I knew you when, when all this was going on, with, because we both rode for Z York at the yeah. time, and, and it was kind of like, um, it was kind of like everyone, I don't know, I can't really say for sure, but it seemed like, you know, it was like you had such a good career, and it was so long, and it seemed prosperous, and like, and when you get to that certain level, it's almost like people are like, I don't want to say they weren't rooting for you, but they're almost like, how long does this last for? You know what I mean? I feel like people kind of like, not just you in general, but just 
anyone who makes it to a certain level at something mm-hmm. and in a longevity. Mm-hmm. I think people, like, they build you up when you're struggling and trying to come up. They're like, yeah, they're rooting for you. But then as soon as you make it past that and you're in a different level than them, they start to want to pull you down. Mm-hmm. And I feel like towards the end of your career, I feel like it was kind of like, it was almost like, dude, this guy's had such a long career. Like, like it, not that people want to see you fail, but they're like, when's he going to, like, give it up or something? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, uh which I never felt that way because I'm like, dude, I go till I'm 150, you know what I mean? Like, it's your one life. Mm-hmm. So then all this happened at once, you know? And I feel like people were looking at it like, damn, Donnie had this, and then the, all this shit's happening, and I think people are looking and paying attention. And But it's just amazing that you you kind of like, I don't want to say you proved anyone wrong, but you just survived it, like, amazingly. Like, you went through your shop, your father, like it all happened at once. Like that's a gnarly thing for a human being to to experience. You had children. It all happened in a span of how many years? It was like two years. Or yeah, three. people usually stretch that out. Yeah, it was like you're living a dream pro life, and then it was like, bam, all this stuff hit yeah, you. Yeah, the carpet got torn out, you know, from underneath my feet. But uh, hey, like, you know, I was definitely bitching and complaining when my contract ended. You know, I had a three month period to figure out how I was going to continue to own my property and how I was going to feed my children and take care of my girl and, you know, go to go from making $110,000 a year to zero, yeah. you know, and having three months to, you know, so it was gnarly. Um, but I, it, but I feel like you proved yourself. That's I guess that's what I was trying to say because I, I've seen it happen with a lot of other pros. Like, people are like, dude, this dude's still going with it. Like, whatever, whatever. Like, people are just skateboarders are haters in general and they miss the point of, like, this is your career, this is your life, and you have inspiration to give as long as you want. Yeah. They just want your spot so badly, kids and shit. But um, <laughs> so, but you proved yourself because I feel like you're, you proved that you're a fighter in my eyes because I was like, even I, even I questioned it. I was like, holy shit, like Donnie's my friend, but like that's a lot of shit to handle at once. Like everything you went through, and I was like, I've seen other people go the other directions, become full-on drug addicts because they feel like they lost their dream. Uh, they me, feel like... Anthony, I mean, you know... <laughs> I had my hands in some some bullshit too, you know what I mean? But like, you know, at the end of the day, like, you're you know, a great my, father. You, yeah, like you everything succeeded. else, like you know, I was able to 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 navigate through, yeah, you know, whatever. Absolutely. But um, yeah, that's 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 cool, and just I don't um, I don't have a single regret, you know. Hell like, yeah. I mean. Why? Why should you, man? You did, yeah. you lived your life, and I feel like you have an amazing story, and like um, your plight was pretty interesting, you know. Like it was pretty, pretty fucking cool, and it was amazing, dude, for sure. And I definitely like look up to you. Like I know I thought we'd have a lot of deep conversations and stuff, and you used to tell me like, "Damn, dude, you know so much for such a young age," and you gave me a lot of credit. And uh, now the flip, the script's kind of flipping because like I don't know anything about having kids, like. I, I like a lot of things you're going through right now is stuff that I'll eventually have to come across. So it's like the script has flipped and I'm kind of inspired by you, you know what I mean? And by your story. And that's why I wanted to have you on the show is because I was like, you're, you've grown so much as an individual because you, you've done the pro skateboarding thing. You took it to a level that at that time, I don't think anyone else was. You were huge in skateboarding, big name, Donnie Barley, everywhere, biggest companies. And then the natural growth from that was to, okay, I'm getting older. You started opening a shop and then having kids and your father passing away. And it, and it's just a natural progression of growth. And it's, I always look at things as like like my board graphic. My first one was the rose that was growing, you know what I mean? And that's mm. kind of what you're doing. You were growing, 
super fast at first, like succeeding and all the stuff, and then you hit a bump in the growing process, and then you grew right through it, and you still continue to blossom, you know, and, and uh, I applaud you for all the stuff you went through, and it went through a two-year period that was uh, pretty gnarly, and, and you come out on top, and that's why I say you prove yourself as a fighter, because I know Thanks. too many people, like even people in my family that still are stuck on hardship, you know what I mean, instead I of learning from it. Yeah, and it, but dude, in the grand scheme of things, you know, <laughs> what I went through was, you know, point zero zero one of like what some unfortunate people have to deal with. You know absolutely, what I mean? Absolutely. And it's just like, you know, I mean, it's nice to reflect about, you know, the roller coaster ride of life and to think about like back and go. Damn, man, remember when we were, like, barely making it, and you know, or whatever? Like, Hell yeah. It's rad to, like, think back to those, ooh, excuse me, okay. those times or whatever, you know, but, um, yeah, man, I mean, you know, I've got it made, you know what I mean? Like, my worth is nothing compared to, like, you know, what, what some people are going on through with, you know, in other countries or in our country. You yeah, know? absolutely, yeah, absolutely. So. Recession's harsh. I would say I like growing older because I feel like with age becomes uh with age comes uh understanding. You know, when you're young, it seems exciting and everything, but I feel like when you're young you have a lot of fear cuz you don't understand the world and you don't know where you're going and you don't know what you're doing and that kind of fuels you to keep going, you know what I mean? But as you get older, you kind of start to understand the world around you and you start to understand how you are and how you think and how you feel and I feel like if you can get to a certain age you can get comfortable in your life and you can start to work at your your uh, maximum level because not only is it physical but it's your mental you know and you can start to like create good atmosphere for yourself and for family and people and that's and I feel like because you're I, not wasting your time on the stuff that you can't change you yeah know I mean? exactly exactly you know yeah. and how many years we've wasted you know thinking we can change the skateboard industry or thinking we can change what the magazines are doing with where skateboarding's going. I don't even, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, like, absolutely. you know, it's like, dude, I can't change none of that. All right, let's get back to the questions then. Let's do it. Hell yeah. Damn, we still got quite a bit, dude. All right, here we go. Here's a good one. Uh, I don't know who asked this, but uh, other hobbies besides skating and family. Is there um, anything else you do on the side that you're like yeah, passionate about right yeah, now? Yeah, I'm real passionate about um not real passionate but like I really like cooking. Um cooking's fun. Hell yeah. And um it's satisfying to put it on the table and watch everybody go tear it up, you know. Yeah. Um when I'm when I'm done cooking. Um uh, and then um I like gardening because we've been actually doing a lot of vegetables and herbs out back. What do you got going? Um, at the moment everything's Done for oh yeah, the year, obviously, yeah. yeah. But we did, you know, um, yeah, tomatoes and um, we did some eggplant and a bunch of different peppers and stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, a bunch of herbs. Um, Seems right to grow it and then bring in the kitchen. Yeah, it's great, man. It's great, you know. And just the other day, I was cooking the turkey and my parsley plant is somehow it's still kicking out there. Damn, you know, it's, like, it's, it's freezing out nowadays. But um, yeah, I took a bunch of parsley out and garnished the chicken. You know, a little. I mean, the, the I had turkey. A, I had you sent me the photo. Yeah, I got the photo. Yeah. It looked amazing, yeah. man. I, I pulled that one off, man. That was great. It's twenty pound turkey. Did all like the prep work for it and came out great. And I had a 
about eight guests over, and they were all the in-laws, you know. Yeah. So I felt like the pressure was on to sort of go <laughs> off to feed. The, you don't want to piss off the in-laws. Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> Everyone's so. like, the middle's fucking frozen, Donnie. Thanks yeah. a lot, man. Yeah, exactly, man. This thing's dry. What's going on? <laughs> Can't you know? see. I know. Ordering Domino's <laughs> pizza on Thanksgiving. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I pulled it, man. I pulled it off. This thing was just delectable. Yeah, that yeah. thing that you were saying it was the first time you ever made it with uh, that way, right? Yeah, you go do this process called brining, and it's like you, it's kind of like marinating. Yeah. So I did a, a buttermilk brine. So I basically Ooh. took my lobster pot that I have to boil lobsters in, you know. He's from New England, guys. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. Not scared of a lobster. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, just you know, concocted the the recipe and then put the turkey in there and let it sit in the refrigerator for about 12 hours. How long did that thing cook for? Well, I let it sit in the fridge and brine for 12 hours and then in the morning at like 7 a.m. I woke up early and started chopping vegetables and and then I seasoned the turkey and took it out of the brine and seasoned it. But when it was in the brine, the brining process basically softens up the meat and it helps it cook a lot more evenly. I I had a question. Um, What about a Donnie Barley cooking show? What about even just the YouTube little videos every time you make something so people could see, like, oh, did you ever think about doing some something different, like, out there like that? Uh, no. Yeah. Not so much. No. <laughs> well, you, usually, actually, I use uh, YouTube to um, to inspire me to cook, like, different dishes or whatever. I'm not, like, super gnarly with cooking. That's just that, like, if, you know, we're going to have chicken that night, I'll look up a recipe that'll be unique, and hopefully I'll have the ingredients. Give it a go. Yeah, and if I don't, then maybe I'll make a quick run down to the store to spend a couple bucks to do whatever, buy some mushrooms or something to do something, or whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah, hell yeah. Um, But, yeah, they get pretty extensive, like some of the YouTube uh, instructional cooking um, yeah. videos on there, so I don't, yeah. No, 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 not quite my. Thing. Is there anything yeah. out there that you could see yourself doing one day? Like, um, like I was kind of talking to Don Pierre, and like he's super into cars. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to him, and I was like, I get, and he's sponsored by Monster, and I was like, well, why don't you talk to the people at Monster about? Because I was asking him, like, you ever think about being a race car driver and like doing it fully? And he's like, yeah, I thought about it, but I don't really know where to start. I'm like, well, why don't you talk to the people at Monster and like, I mean, mm-hmm. you can. Uh, what I don't, I, I try to tell people, I'm like, you can do more than one thing, like, and be good at all of it. You just got to, like, dedicate yourself. So is there anything out there that you think you might want to do one day or, like, something you could pitch yourself doing? Like, um, I, I really, I constantly think about um, brands, you know, because I, like, we're involved with skating and every brand out there right now is unique in its own sense, you know, and there's ones that I enjoy more than others and there's ones that are, like, wow, like those guys are geniuses because they are specifically tailoring their advertisements and stuff to yep. that specific group of, or genre or whatever, you know? And um, when I had the skate shop, we branded a lot of our stuff. Um, you know, we did our own clothes and our own boards and stuff like that, and that was really fun. Um, but at the same time, like, I'm just like a normal, like, blue-collar type dude, Yeah. you know? So, like, it would get tough for me to do my own brand because I'm not the dude that's, like, hyped on gimmicks, Yeah, you know? It's, like, I'm just kind of more of, like, a classic, authentic-type thinker. Yeah. You know? So, for me to, like, provide something to the youth, you know, the youth want to see sex, drugs, rock and roll, violence. Yeah, they like try to pitch them some bullshit. Yeah, and, and it's, like, I'm a dad now, and I'm just, like... 
whoa, man, like, I wouldn't want my kids, you know, like... Oh, I didn't really think about that, but yeah. So, like, I have a responsibility as a parent to, like, have certain standards, you know what I mean? So it would be hard for me to do a brand because it would be boring, I think, you know? (laughs) Because it would be all, like, you know, but then there's different avenues, you know, there's, you know... um, you know, uh, conspiracy theories and certain things where you could, like, you know, Obey's an interesting brand because they... Propaganda. Yeah, it's rad, right? Like, they kind of are building a brand around, you know... Something that was already there that they just kind of tapped in on and created Mm. a a feel for the brand. Yeah. Right, like, so I feel like if I was going to ever... So, because, you know, I'm actually getting an education from Element and Plan B, you know? I'm I'm learning a ton about, you know, what we do for marketing and where we put our marketing dollars and where we, you know, how we attack our target stores and how we can be creative to build business. You know, it's super fun. It's awesome. They're huge. They're huge. So, like, yeah, it's rad. Their presence is huge. So it's definitely a pretty good experience. Yeah, it's rad. And then everybody that works over there is is killer, you know. So it's like I'm surrounded by a bunch of people that just want to do rad, authentic stuff. And we, you know, and... The concentration on the details is pretty extreme, which is, like, my avenue, you know? Even with skating, like, I always wanted to have my tricks have details and my video parts to have details. And for, you know, the clothing I was designing or the footwear I'm designing to have details, you know? Just to make it that much better. Yeah, hell yeah. And the music that we listen to and we're fond of, the reason why we like it is because it was a notch above what it was before. Uh, you know, it's kind of... With music, it's a little tough these days. I'm, I'm going to say that. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I found myself listening to a lot more stuff in the 90s, but that's just me. So, know? May, so maybe down the road, if you come up with an idea, we might see a brand. Uh, you never know. Yeah, yeah, yeah it'd be fun. Nothing you know? set in stone, but if nah, something comes yeah, across. It, it would be cool. It would be cool. Um, but other than that, like, the next best thing... And a lot less stressful of an avenue is working with amazing brands, or, yeah. or, or you know, for for me right now, it's it's Element and Plan B, and you know, it might not last forever, but like, see you where know, it goes. It's great right now, and I'm you know, I'm real, I'm real happy to have the opportunity, dude. You know, fuck yeah, Sick, dude, man, that's rad. This seems like they're taking care of you, which is yeah, they yeah, that's it. You know, I just try to do as much as I can so that you know that'll continue. <laughs> Hell yeah, because it's what I got going for me at the moment. Okay, so I got another question. Skate Life four hundred one. So maybe they're from Rhode Island. Oh yeah, he follows me on Instagram. Oh, where are And he's wondering if you ever plan on opening up Foy again, if that's uh, ever a possibility. Probably not. You know, it, what I found was that owning a retail store was extremely satisfying. You know, you're you're shaping and you're growing with the community, and um, that was awesome. Doing events was great. Watching the kids progress at skating, watching them grow, watching them being there as like a mentor. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing was cool. And then de- developing, you know, the small collection of clothing that we did. Yeah. Um, and stuff like that was fun too. But like. You know, if you're going to do a retail store, there's, like, two ways to do it. You really got to go super huge and carry, like, a vast amount of products, you know, yeah. and footwear and clothing and what have you. But um, it's just, like, it, it, it's a hustle that, like, is um, is not quite for me. I kind of found out, you know. Yeah. Um, like I said, it was great being involved and growing everything. And, and mostly the satisfaction I was getting was from, you know, the kids. Hell, yeah. <laughs> you know, but, like... um. 
you know, we just didn't really like turn the corner and there wasn't like enough money to do anything with aside from pay the overhead, yeah. you know? And so to, to put in 50 hours a week to, to see a goose egg, you know, yeah, it's, a tough it, one. it's exhausting. Especially when you have a but there's people family. out there that totally, you know, I talk to shops all week, every week, and they've got it figured out. And, you know, and it just so happened that, you know, for us, Providence was a tough sell, you yeah. know, tough city during a tough economic climate or whatever. And then, you know, and, and, and me closing the store allowed me to see that I could, I have, um, I have like, uh, more strengths in different places, you know, like, so rather than me, you know, trying to continue to do this, try store, to fit yourself into a size eight when you're really a size 10. Exactly. Yeah. So like, in a way, like as fun as the store was and as much as I learned and as satisfying, satisfying as it was at times, um, you know, like there's way more out there that's bigger and broader and yeah. and waiting for me. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I just have to Absolutely. like, you know, keep doing my work and, and, you know, and, Evolving, and, and may, maybe that happened. Um, maybe foys your brand someday. Maybe that's your right. apparel brand or something. Yeah, found a use. No, exactly. Like, that was a that's been a thought for for a while now. For those who are out there that don't really know, is Donnie speaking about his skate shop found youth, and um, I mean the name kind of speaks for itself. But what what was like? Where, how'd you come to that name? Like, um, you're like I'm gonna open a shop, and then yeah, we were. I was trying to think of names and stuff, and actually, my friend Kyle Clayton kind of inspired me because he was drawing. He was talking about doing like a private clothing label, like a high end clothing label with like rugby shirts and stuff, and he wanted to call it um, um, De Leon. Oh, sick. Yeah, and I was like, oh, like Ponce De Leon. And then I started thinking, like, what is, what was he doing? Yeah, he was, like, Columbus, right? And I started thinking back to my history classes in junior high or whatever. And um, and I was like, wait, no, he was actually looking for the fountain of youth, huh? And then I started, and and my friend Kyle um, had this De Leon. He had all these, like, different drawings of how he wanted to present this clothing line. Yeah, hell yeah. And one of his logos was a fountain. Oh, sick. Yeah, yeah. So when I kind of put two and two together, and I was like, oh, fountain of youth. And then, um, and then, like later on that night, I was like, "Fountain of Youth." Maybe that's the name that I should go with. Yeah, you know, because name. like skateboarding is like the fountain of youth. I mean, I'm 39, and I get you know carded when I go buy a six pack. You know, <laughs> and it's like I always get stoked when they card me. <laughs> you know, and often they ask like, "Well, how do you stay young?" And I'm always like, "Skateboarding." And they're like, skateboarding, you think that would kick your ass? And I'm like, well, you're right, actually. Skateboarding has kicked my ass. <laughs> Certain ways. But, like, it's kept me young, you know what I mean? It's kept my soul young. It's kept my, like, outlook on things kind of young and sometimes juvenile, you know? But, Absolutely. Um, but, like, so that was kind of, like, the inspiration, I think. And then, um, and then we made bumper stickers that said skateboarding is the fountain of youth, you know? Uh, and that they were there at the grand opening of the store. And, uh, yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, I um kind of touching on that like skateboarding I feel like it is it's definitely a found youth it keeps you um you're not in sync with the rest of society for sure cuz just going out and skating on other people's properties and trying it's you you just got to think differently to look at a handrail or to look at some weird embankment somewhere that most people don't even acknowledge or realize it and to want to utilize it and create something with a skateboard and film it edit it put music to it like create expression through it like, I feel like it's definitely the fountain of youth because it keeps you young and not just young, but it keeps you thinking outside the box. You know what I mean? Like, it keeps you, uh, 
Like, I have a video online, the YouTube video of me arguing with the, with the guy at the train station, and he's yelling at me for skating at a train station. And uh, the comments on the video are like a lot of... It's not skateboarders. It's a lot of uh, general public people that don't know anything about skating, and they're just like... They all call me a faggot. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, the comments are so negative. Like, oh. skateboarders trespassing, blah, blah, blah. But it scares me because... It makes me realize how much they, people don't understand the act of skateboarding and, and the good thing about skating. They just think we're just like out there trashing people's properties and saying fuck everything and did it. Because they don't want to see you have a good time. Yeah, you know and exactly. I mean? They and don't. They a, definitely don't want. They want. They want me working at I factory job. I experienced that my whole childhood being involved with skating because it was a subculture that wasn't even on the map yet. You know. Yeah. So my whole childhood, it was even the cops pulling over and going, "Why aren't you playing football?" And I'd just be like, football sucks, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I, I, I'd say, you know, I, I play soccer, but I finish soccer practice at 5 o'clock, and now I'm skateboarding. Yeah. Well, what do you, did your mom know you were out here skating at 8 o'clock at night? And I'd be like, yeah, that's her car right there. <laughs> you know? She's yeah. just like, she's in the store, and I'm skating. Like, what's the big deal? Yeah, they don't you know? get it. They don't get and it And then I'd all. be like, well, officer, was there a complaint? And they'd be like, no, I just, you guys are always over here just, like, banging up on the curbs and stuff. And I'd be like... Like, dude, there could be ten times worse things yeah. that you could be doing. The you curb's know, not going to get used otherwise. Like, you're definitely uh, utilizing yeah. it, you know? So just, like, that was, like, the beginning of, like, me feeling not accepted, you know? Yeah, Or whatever. Sure. And, and then over time, skateboarding grew, and now it's a household thing, you know? Yeah, they're trying yeah. They're trying to market it and box it in so people can understand and swallow it. But the true essence of skateboarding is something that's free. Mm-hmm. It's about you and your skateboard, and if you don't do it... You don't understand it mm-hmm. because when when you go out and skate by yourself and you skate through the streets or even just on ramps or whatever, you're trying to create something. You're trying to like think of something in your brain, visualize it, and then create it into reality. That's mm-hmm. what the tricks are. That's what it is. That's what you're doing. Even with the style, maybe not even the trick, but the way you do it or the way you make something look. It's it's a thought from your brain first, something you like, and then you visualize it. And like most people don't get it. And the comments on that video freaked me out because I'm like. People really don't get it. They look at it either like a sport because of the big contest and Tony mm-hmm. Tony Hawk, mm-hmm. commercialized sport, or they look at it as vandalism and, and a criminal little juvenile assholes, you know what I mean? And it's insane, and I'm just like, it, it floors me, it scares me, it scares me. The, the mainstream people scare me about skateboarding. It's, it makes me want to like kind of like tell everyone about skateboarding even more, about what skateboarding personally means. You know what I mean? Not yeah. just show them a not just show them a huge contest like a street league or a do tour, but actually talk about the art of skateboarding. Because I feel like there's not enough of that anymore. Back in the day, there was there was more of that in skateboarding. You know, nowadays it's more tricks and boxed in type shit. But yeah, fuck do I know? Um, oh, another tr- another question for Donnie is: uh, Do you have a favorite trick? Um. My favorite trick is just kind of flowing, if that's a trick, you know? Like, pretty much wherever I go, I like to kind of walk in and, you know, just cruise around and, um, you know, have enough time to enjoy a skate spot. And that's hard because, yeah. like, what we were talking about with security and people get, you know, kicking you out and stuff. And, uh, and it's also hard for someone that's 39 years old, you know, like, you know, I could be skating in Providence and a 25-year-old, like, 
jerk of a security guard can come out and talk crap to me. Yeah. I'm 39. I'm like, you know. <laughs> Trying to deal with that bullshit. Yeah, and I'm not even really that big of a dude, but, like, you know, I can handle myself. You yeah. Know? I hate to have to handle myself, and I certainly, and this dude's talking crap to me, and I'm just like, oh. you know, I have to be patient and understanding and walk away from it and just leave, you know. Yeah. But, like, um, yeah, it's nuts to... uh <laughs> have to cope with that you know I, I find myself skating at a lot of the indoor skate parks or the outdoor skate parks you know because it's just like less hassle for me you know what I mean I don't really want to have to scrap with some dude that thinks he can fight me because you know yeah, he he's a security guard or something you know and then when the officers would you know in the last couple of years would kick us out of a spot I'd just say hi to him you know and just talk to him and they would respect the fact that I was older yeah. and that I respected them and that I wasn't a punk you know yeah but in the earlier days, um, you know, I would usually just walk away or run or bounce. You know what I mean? Yeah, and then, absolutely. But I usually, I, I was good about keeping my mouth shut when it came to that, you know. That's good. But, like, it wasn't always easy, you know. And it didn't always work. But anyway. it's how I'm learning that one, too, like, that, <clears throat> to, like, just kind of let it go. Because, like, a lot of times when you're out skating, sh- you're out skating street, security guard or a pedestrian, they come at you so sideways. Like, I've been taught. Too so disrespectful. I just don't understand why you would waste your time. Don't you have better things? To yeah, exactly. Like, you know what I mean? like, yeah. They probably like, think why the are same you thing. so upset? You're letting your emotions get in, involved right now, and yeah. you're showing me all these emotions that you have, and like, that's actually what? your problem. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm not in charge of your emotions right now. <laughs> you are. Exactly. And you're like showing me all this stuff about who you are. Like you're. Might want to move on. You might need a counselor. Yeah, like what's it got to do with me, dude? Like, well, that's what I'm saying. I'm a like, taxpayer, just like you are. Leave me alone. I don't. I don't absolutely. need to hear you. you that, that's what I've noticed. Is like when we get when I get kicked out of spots, it's they come at me and they see the skateboard and they see what you're doing. They instantly think you're some young punk that doesn't do anything. When in actuality, you're a 39 year old, a 30 year old, and we own houses and property, and you know you have kids and yeah. the same shit that they do. But we do something that's unconventional and fun, right. and they don't get it. So then yeah. they instantly I, – I am floored by how I'm spoke to by people. Even security guards, when they're being nice, just the, their tone and how they speak to me is so disrespectful that I've learned to not say anything and just understand it. But if I didn't have a skateboard, or if they wouldn't speak to me that way. Right. They would never disrespect – they wouldn't say that to their family. They wouldn't talk to me. Like, they don't – wouldn't – you, they're just so disrespectful. It's insane. They come up like, "Gay, hey, get the hell out of here!" You know, like freaking out instead of like, "Hey, you know, like don't do that. Please leave." Like c- communicate. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's insane. People just think you're a skateboarder and that's it. They fucking talk to you like the worst piece of shit ever. It's insane. Mm-hmm. All right, let me make sure we got all the questions done. Just so. Oh, that was one. That was one. This one actually was from Piva. You know Piva. Yeah, yeah. Craig Piva owns No Problemo, Burrito Shop, New Bedford, Mass. I'm actually trying to get him on the show as a guest. Him and JV. Uh, JV owns Solstice Skate Shop in New Bedford as well. Oh, jeez. Yep, both skate, both uh, transitioned from being skateboarders. I mean, they still skateboard, but they transitioned from, like, sponsored skateboarding into owning uh, businesses, skate shop in a, a burrito spot, Taqueria. So I'm trying to get them on. But Piva wanted to know... What was what was your favorite sponsor? Because he he was saying he was like, hey, like Dining's had quite a few sponsors over the years. Like it doesn't necessarily have to be a board. It could be any sponsor. Like what what would you consider your favorite sponsor? Um, 
toy machine for sure. Yeah? Yeah. Was yeah. that just because of the time and the era and all the people? Yeah, and yeah, that was just really real, man. We, um, you know, it was just like I got invited to be part of this little movement and, you know, Jamie's like video um, expertise capabilities and Ed's, you know, design and um, branding skills with the brand and like just, and then, you know, the, the guys to the left. Team. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the team to the left, to the right. Like, you know, I was just amongst a really unique group and it was right at a time where skateboarding was kind of waiting for somebody to grab the reins and ride off at the, into the sunset. You know what I mean? It yeah. was like anybody's game kind of or something. And um, we built a team and I don't think anybody expected us to, expected to see, you know, what we were doing to be you know, at that level or whatever, you know? Yeah. So it was like we kind of, like, took the whole skateboard world a little bit by surprise, and we dropped the video, and then, um, you know, everything after that and before that was just beautiful, you know? That's and right. And so, like, I think, you know, and then now I see Toy Machine ads, and I see Ed on Instagram and some of the other riders, and I'm still fond of all of it, you know? And it's it's great, you know. Um, yeah. And then one other sponsor I had was Quicksilver, and there was benefit to being on Quicksilver because they were just so successful and paid. Yeah. And it was rad traveling with them because it was all five star the whole time. You yeah, know? like a celebrity. Yeah, it was yeah. baller. And and like some of the photo trips that we went on, I'd be like chilling with Kelly Slater and Tony Hawk and Nathan Fletcher, and to me that was um, special. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, for sure. To be like you know with dudes that are like on that level. And it kind of, um, yeah, it was it was a mind blowing time. But like at the same time, you know, they were, um, you know, a big brand, and and there were some things that they did, as far as it was just weird, you know yeah. what I mean? Because they were like bigger where I where I was coming from was like Toy Machine was like small, and Todd Swank owned it, yeah. you know, and um, you know he was a, a ripping skater in his day, you know. So it's kind of like I don't know. But but yeah, it was fun to stay at the W Hotel in Manhattan for a few days. Yeah, that's have carte blanche, you know, whatever. Yeah. Just pick up the phone and whatever you want to cover. <laughs> I was gonna um, say uh, to Ed Templeton, man. I hope you uh, heal up, man. Did you see that? He, yeah, his yeah. leg, man. I've um, been messaging messaging him like probably every other day, like hanging there, buddy. You yeah, know? that's unfortunate. I seen an Instagram of him laid up, but he, he seemed like he had a good spirits about it. He was drawing in his book and stuff. Man. Yeah, yeah, it's a gnarly one. Um, Okay, so let's see. I think we have one more question from the people. Oh, Jared Pimento. What up, Jared? I know you'll listen to this. You know Jared? I don't know. He's from uh, he's like, I, he's, I think that Lagoonin. He's a shorter dude, but uh, I, he's on Instagram. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Jared Pimento. He's on there. Um, uh-huh. his question is. Oh, that was we actually covered his. He was the one who was wondering about who influenced your style and who you looked up to. So we covered that. A little bit of everybody. <laughs> little bit, yeah, pieces, pieces. Um. I had a question though, because um, okay. you rode for uh, America, mm-hmm. and uh, you had a pro shoe, mm-hmm. right, for America. Yeah. Um, uh, how did that come about, and how did that feel to like have them? Like, was that something that you thought you could achieve, like no get a way, pro man. shoe? And uh, uh-uh. no, we were actually living in um, Newport Beach with well, Tom, Tom and Chad and Angel. Who does Supra and Crew? Okay, yeah, yeah. He's the CEO guy over there, um, and Tom Penny and Chad Muska. They had a place in Newport Beach, 
And I was like, just staying on the couch once again, you know. Um, couch surfing Donnie. Yeah, just traveling. And and um, we were skating a ton. And um, those guys were riding for ES. And I was riding for Etnies. And then they decided, well, they decided to do ES and they decided to do America simultaneously. And they were trying to figure out who fit into what brand and how they were going to direct each brand. Yeah. You know? And so Tom and Chad kind of fit in um, pretty strongly with the ES, where they wanted to take ES. And that, they, I think they had figured out that they wanted that label to be like a lot more high end. You yeah. Know? And they wanted America to be kind of like more like gritty. Skate rat. Yeah. 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 So they were like, okay, we're going to put Chris in and Cardiel and Donnie Barley and blah, blah, blah. And so the team was rather big. Cardiel was on the America? Mm-hmm. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. We had a rad little squad going. Uh, it was not rad. It was big. Yeah. Know? It was Tim. Tim Broch was on it, I think, too. Okay. Um, and then, um, yeah, they just, uh, they grew the brand um, as far as, you know, numbers and sales go. And as they did that, they sort of shrunk it as far as the team went. So it became a little bit more exclusive. Yeah. And Andrew Reynolds became, you know, a big a big, um, you know, pretty much almost like the voice of the brand, sort of, during that period. Chris Dunn had a sneaker. Mark Johnson had a sneaker. Yeah, the Mark Johnson yeah. one, I, I had so many pairs, such a good shoe. Yeah, Ed had a sneaker. And then eventually it was my turn to, to, to design a shoe, you know. Oh, yeah. So I designed um, a pretty cool shoe. It was pretty bulletproof. And it was during the time when shoes were a little bit chubbier, you know. Yeah. But um, I wanted to make a shoe that just wouldn't would last forever, you know. Hey. And some of the materials we used in the shoe were a little bit pricey, so the shoe was priced at like 90 bucks, I think, which was top of the line pricing-wise for an America shoe. Yeah. I think everything else was probably, you know, somewhere between, you know, 55 to 75, you know. Yeah. And my shoe was kind of like, whoa, you know. A little, a little above. Yeah. Kind but of that above. thing would last. <laughs> right, right. And I think uh, it did good out of the block box. I think it did okay. And then it kind of flatlined, you know. And a lot of the shops couldn't move it because it was priced um, a little bit too much, too high. And then so we started designing a second sneaker, which is interesting because I did the opposite. I made a super thin shoe, and it was like a ninja slipper. And um, I took the Adidas shell toe nose, and we modified it and made it kind of like a little bit different. So that was going to be that 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 nose of the shoe was going to be what was going to you know be the expensive part of the shoe. Yeah, as the far rest as, was a slipper. Right. Yeah. You know, so that was going to take care of like your ollies. You know, and all the wear and tear. Like, yeah. You know, and so that was like a thicker rubber, but it was it was done well, and I got the samples back, and it came back in a black leather, and we were gonna do it in canvas, and we were gonna do it in synthetic, um, suede, yeah. new buck or whatever. And um, my contract was coming close to coming to the end, and we were actually filming for that video. This is skateboarding. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, and um, we went on a couple of trips, man. And I was just like kind of having a tough time getting along with some of the other guys on the team, and something. I was filming with Manzuri and with um, uh, what's that other guy's name? Um, yeah, we were filming for the video, and I had a blast filming with Manzuri. Everything was going pretty fine, but there was just something missing. It was awkward, you know. Yeah. I felt like, you know, and they kicked off a couple people. They kicked off Paul McAnell. I think they um, got rid of Chris Dunn's shoe. They did a couple things that were just, in my opinion, I was just kind of like, huh? Because I didn't understand the business back then. Yeah. You know? I just kind of wanted things to be 
you know. Like awesome. Yeah. And like the way make I, it as awesome yeah, as you can. Yeah. And, and it was rad because Don Brown would always listen to what we wanted to do. And Justin Regan was our manager and he was completely open to how we wanted to shape the program. Yeah. You know, which was rad. But yeah, so then my contract came to an end and I, I just, I don't know. I just was like, they were like, here, you know, here's your contract if you want to sign it. And I just, I was like, nah, I'm good. And That's I walked away, yeah. Kids out there are probably shitting their pants right I now. I walked away <laughs> from it, yeah. I just kind of walked away from it and just decided I was going to go get a different shoe sponsor. And I thought that there would be a line, you know, of people maybe, not a line, but I thought that I'd had a, <laughs> I thought that have a couple options, you know, a yeah. few opportunities and stuff. And pretty much got shoes from like Audio and DVS and a few other people, Nike, and um, ended up just kind of sticking with Nike. You know, yeah. and getting flow from Nike, and uh, they had, um, you know, made some, you know, promises like, hey, yeah, you know, we're gonna get you going on this program, and next year and stuff, and next year turned into the next year, and whatever. they didn't really start. They didn't really start it. It seemed like that when you were on, it was like they didn't, they never did start it, and then yeah, and then they actually handpicked P Rod out, and then that was their like little golden child. You yeah, know? and, and then they tried to it. kind of build things around him. And um, a few of the other guys, which is you know awesome. You know, I just just somehow didn't didn't my ticket never came. Well, you ended up time. doing zoo, the zoo and the zoo. Right. Well, zoo. yeah, because I mean, I had been waiting for this Nike thing to take off for me. You know, I wanted yeah. to be part of the team, and that didn't. Um, yeah, I think the happened. Nike thing took off after you were already gone because it didn't happen. Well, they had a team. They did. Okay. Yeah, they had a team. Didn't and seem like they were doing much with the brand for a while. It was just like. Well, they were trying to like get it off the ground and get it indoors and whatnot, like you know, and and they they handpicked a team of unique guys from opposite ends of the spectrum. Yeah. So they had like Chet Childress over here, yeah. P. Rod over here, and then like. You know, whoever else, Daniel Shimizu, I think, you know. And, yeah, um, I think a lot of these dudes still might skate for him. Yeah, yeah. I don't really know the, the history there. Yeah, so, but, you know, at the end of the day, like, that opportunity didn't really, like, grow, you know. Yeah, and so, you ended up going over doing Zoo. Um, yeah. I had a question before we move forward is, uh, do you still have uh, a sample pair of the Barley 2? Uh, no, I skated those, and I have a couple pictures of me wearing them. Oh, you yeah, do? Yeah, yeah, and um, I think... Don and Justin Regan told me that they have a couple, maybe in the vault at Soltech. Like you know, they they kept saved those. it somewhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you have a collection of uh, like? Did you save? Try to save as many of your boards as you can. Do you yeah. have like a healthy yeah. skate collection? Yeah. Right now? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's some of your? Do you have any prizes in there that you're psyched on? Maybe did you collect other people's stuff too? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you got mm-hmm. any good good things that? Uh... I got a lot of signed boards from a lot of pros. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. Um, not like you know, not a shit ton, but like you know, a good healthy collection. And you know, the challenging part for that is to try to you know keep those things as clean and as you know, shrink wrapped or whatever you want to say, and yeah. you know, away from you know, get, getting dinged and stuff. But like, unfortunately, over the time of moving and here, moving there, and whatever, like some of them have gotten a little bit dinged or whatever. Yeah. And then, you know, I've been hanging some of them. Some of them are hanging in on the third floor of my house, and they look great, and it's awesome. And the kids always stare at them, and every whoever comes over is always, you know, psyched. Yeah, like, yeah, you know, this is cool. And um, one day I want to refinish my basement and make that be my man cave. Yeah, Hell yeah. And Deck wanna, it out, wall yeah, to wall. Yeah, yeah. I need I'm, to do that too, man. I have the vision in my head. I know exactly what I want to do. I just got to, like, save up the cake for it. You Hell know? yeah. And get, get down there and patch up a few of the, con- you know, there's a couple. It, the, the basement takes on, 
it's taken on water once, but I can't be putting that you stuff down there. You got a sub, sub yeah. pump or whatever they are? Yeah, I actually pump it out. I bought one. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty New England for you. Yeah. All the houses down here have that stuff. Do you have a crazy, any crazy road stories? Just like some interesting crazy story from on the road and Tons. maybe some different country or... Tons. They're all illegal. Can't talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> what happens on the road stays on the where's, road. Where's, yeah. uh, where's the most interesting place you've traveled? Um, actually, you were with me. Um, we went to China. Oh, hell yeah. Um, I, th- I think that might have been one of the coolest trips I've ever been on as far as um, unbelievable skate spots and unique, you know, eating. You know, remember the, some of the dinners that we had? with The, like, the, the one- dinners were amazing for sure. Yeah. And, and crazy. Um, <laughs> and then just like, you know, we had like a van that and a tour guide and he didn't speak that much English, but he knew all the skate spots. Mr. Jung. Yeah. Jung unit. Yeah, he was tight. And then um, Anthony Clairvall was with us, and he had all these crazy spots, and we just we just went around and like my, my you know kind of blew my top, you know. And at the time, like I think we had just had Charlotte and Jesse and I were like, you know, trying to find balance as parents, and just you know, I, I you know, it was tough. We we're filming for the video. Yeah. Um, what do you call it? State of mind. State of mind. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, I was just trying to find some. like a calm place in my brain at that point to where I could like actually think about skating and produce, you know, and it was challenging. And China's, China was crazy. Yeah, it was, but like, it was rad, dude. That was a, that was a pretty amazing trip. I just, I could go back there anytime and go skating and, um, and just soak it all in. I thought, you know, it it seems like China's like almost like for me too, when I tell people like my favorite place to go is China because it's such an extreme. It feels almost like an alien world. Cause yeah. like no one understands you. Yeah. Like you can't understand one word. Like you go to France, you go to England, you can understand people. Like even mm-hmm. if they're speaking Spanish or French, you can understand a bit hit words and words. There you can't you can't understand one one word unless you study it. And then just the culture itself, like they eat everything. Yeah. Remember, remember going through the farmers market and seeing like vegetables that I'd never seen before. They they eat like weird roots and. And then all of a sudden we go around the corner and it's, you can smell fish and you just see everything from... I just I saw sea creatures in there that I didn't even... It looks like aliens. Yeah. Whoa, dude. What are those things? And people would like take a machete and hack it off and pay for it and walk off and... Like, like take it home? Yeah. <laughs> what, what are they going to do with that thing? <laughs> They're going to eat it? Yeah. <laughs> what is that squiggly weird thing? We saw like the that. dog thing. The the I saw a glass case with the dog in it too they actually do eat dog i don't think it's very common but yeah they eat dog over there as well like they will eat anything yeah it was bizarre they even had like you turn another corner and it was all like insects that had been dried out like big yeah. like worms and you know um you know what do you call it like, like centipedes gra- grasshoppers, and grasshoppers and stuff, and you know and all that's protein. It's just not part of our diet. You know? I'm sure it will be as everything, as resources start to die out. We're gonna have to start eating what's around us, you know, and like, cause gas, fuel, and all that stuff. Unless they figure it out, man, it'll become part of our diet for sure. I'll be eating grasshoppers. <laughs> <laughs> You're on Dip, your own there, boy. Dipping them in chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> Chef Barley cooking up some <laughs> centipedes for the fam. <laughs> Our kids would be hating on me. Dad, what are you doing? This sucks. You got to feed them the insects young, man. Get them young, get them hooked. <laughs> Here's a cockroach. I've done that one. <laughs> oh, man. That was ugly. <laughs> Disgusting. That was nasty. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, and and China is really interesting too because it was developing. Like I remember we'd go and it'd be like super tech city, everything, and then we'd drive a little bit and it's just like people riding bikes, like dirt roads, yeah. dirt roads, like carrying. Like it was just like so extreme there. It was really crazy, man. Definitely a cool place. I've actually been lucky to go. I went twice. I went with Clairval twice now. Oh wow! Yeah, I went before we went with Zoo. I went with Terrell Robinson, and we. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. And told me that. And yep. that was pretty cool because it was basically just me, Terrell, and uh, Anthony, and just skated and met all the people and shredded. It was cool, man. Mm-hmm. You're right over there. Yeah, I'm just itching my ear. Injury? Headphone injury? Oh no, no, no. <laughs> cool. Um. Yeah, so I think we covered all the questions. Um, is there a... Let's kind of just... Is there anything you want to touch on? Is there anything like... I mean, I know people are going to listen to this in the industry. Like, Is there anyone you want to thank? Is there anything you want to touch on at all? Any stories or anything? Man, I'd say just I want to thank everybody out there that's been part of skateboarding from the Groms all the way to the veterans, to the pioneers, to the brand owners, to the industry folks and the people at the magazines i mean at some point throughout the time that i've been involved you know i've crossed paths with just about almost everybody you yeah. know and it's been a pleasure and and um yeah i feel super lucky to have you know been a part of skateboarding for this long and continue you know, to be yeah and continue to be and to you know i have friends all over the world that do what we do and made connections with people all over the place and like I said from you know and I've you know looked up to and and uh, learned and you know gathered things from just about everybody along the way you know so it's it's just what's up everybody thank you <laughs> love you guys actually um that reminded me of a question I had was um since you're you're working with plan b and element now yeah and uh do you actually work with the team at all? Do you because have you been able to travel? Um... Yeah, yeah, actually, um, a little bit. Yeah, and um, it's gonna next year. You know, we've got a lot of cool stuff lined up. But um, I just was in Virginia Beach with um, Tori and with Sheckler and some of the Element Riders, and that was actually pretty cool. Um, you know, it's awesome being you know able to just be in a van and like listening what these dudes are gabbing about. You yeah, know, yeah. and what they're what, where their heads are at, you know? And it's it's amazing, dude. The kids of today, like, dude, Sheckler and Tori, they're, like, so ahead of the game and so, um, you know, so um, just disciplined and, and intelligent, you know? And it's just, like, I think back to where my head was at when I was, you know, at the peak of my game, and it it's not even, like, a fifth of what these guys understand and how they handle themselves and how professional they are and the level of their skating and everything, you know what I mean? It's 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 crazy. Like it's I, I'm 39 watching these, you know, early 20-year-old type kids, you know, and it's like I'm so proud to see like what they're doing. It's like skateboarding is it's man, you just you just you become part of skating when you fall in love with it and it's just like um you you're a supreme person in society, I think. You're a step ahead of everybody. I agree, man. You know what I mean? Because you have to survive on a skateboard. You have to survive on the streets. Like, as you're learning your craft, you know? Yep. And then part of skateboarding is art and music and all this other stuff. And so, like, we're just, like, you can't even say to us, dude. Like, skateboarders are, like, mm-hmm. the most 
legit, dude. Yeah, like I feel like we're we're this subculture that's like way more versed than you know, football's like do your push ups, you know, baseball is throw the fastball. You they know? got boxed Skate- in. They got yeah, boxed in. Skateboarding is just like it's just lawless and and um and it's got so much creative in there, you know? And it's yeah. like good for the world, you know? Hell yeah. But I mean you know. I mean, they're learning. I was watching this thing last night on TV, and it was talking about the way that um, pretty much anyone can make art nowadays. Like back in the day, like if you wanted to be a drummer, you had to be really good at drumming, and if you're in a band and you wanted to like, you had to actually sound good. And it yeah, wasn't, it wasn't marketing and image oriented. And it wasn't like because they can synthesize, they can do all types of stuff with your voice and drumming. They can use a drum machine. Like the technology has outgrown the craft. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But the way these people were speaking about it, they were talking and they actually admitted that they, they they had this company and they kind of stole their techniques from skateboarders because skateboarders were the first ones out there. And they even with VHS, we were filming and recording what we were doing and creating and being not being boxed in and being fluid. And that's kind of the way technology and, and the companies and stuff are starting to do it because – Back in the day, you had to know someone or you had to have the startup capital to become a musician or to start a brand. And nowadays, everything's so accessible. You can start up a brand. You could create a whole Everything, band yeah. with just a Mac. Mm-hmm. And you could start a whole brand with a, with a computer now, you know? Mm-hmm. And you can reach people. Mm-hmm. There's this guy on there that was talking about his book. And uh, he reached 5 million people with his book. Sorry, my dogs just freak out every time my car drives by. That X. Yeah, probably. But, uh, yeah, so this guy, he, he was an author, and he wrote a book, and he had a publishing house, and they sold his book, and he made a good amount of chunk. He made a good amount of money. His next book, he made a book, and it was like 29 pages. It was a thin book or something, and uh, he gave it to the people that were his sponsors or whatever, the publishing house, and they wanted to sell it. And he told them, no, I want to give it away for free online. And they're like, no, you can't do that. So he just said, whatever, I'm going to do it. He gives this book away for free online, and... Uh, Five million people downloaded copies of the book and loved it. It was like best best uh, book he's written, most successful. And uh, so then, what his publishing house decided to do was, okay, we're gonna now we're gonna print the book, but like a special edition one. And they ended up doing that, and and it was they sold it for forty dollars. It's twenty nine pages. They sold, sold it for forty dollars a piece. I guess he made more money off the book he gave away free than his first book. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. So, like, basically what I'm saying is he reached 5 million people and still made revenue off of it. So nowadays, it's like through social media and all that stuff, you can you can reach massive groups of people where before it's like you kind of needed got, you needed business and people to help you, and now you can create it yourself. So that's kind of the way it's going, I, I feel. And, uh, it is already there, man. Yeah, and that's why I talk to you guys, and I'm uh, like I was talking to Nick and you and every one of my guests. I'm always like, Kind of like, oh, what, you ever start about think about doing something like starting up a brand or like being a race car driver or doing this? Because it's really accessible now. You really could do it through the mm-hmm. connections and especially being a skateboarder and having connections like with Nick with Monster and they sponsor race cars and stuff like that. It's like if you actually realize you can do cool shit and just do it, it's like mm-hmm. you can do it, you know. But uh, yeah, I think that's about it, Donnie. Unless there's anything else you want to touch on. Sick, man. You guys skate safe. Shred it up. Rip it. Oh, uh, yeah. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. Um, I'm hyped to have Donnie on. Such an interesting dude. We probably could have went for another two hours. But uh, we're going to wrap it up. Um, Stay tuned. I'll have more guests soon. And uh, 
Follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. It's at Anthony Shetler. And Donnie, you want to plug yours? Do you have uh, Yeah, I'm on Instagram, just Donnie Barley. Okay. Just follow me if you want. You got a Facebook profile too? Uh, I kind of canceled it a little bit ago. It was getting out of hand and okay, consuming so my time a little bit too. Twitter or just Instagram? I'm on Twitter too, but I kind of don't. Yeah, I'm so I kind of sleep on the Twitter thing. Instagram, dude. Yeah, okay. Instagram, I guess for now. Yeah. Skateboarding is the fountain of youth. For sure, that's the truth. All right, peace, guys.